Nah, my boy's usually got layers. I mean, not right now because he's naked, but (laughs) (laughs) normally Welcome back to Jango. Oh, the word of the witnesses. <laughs> you got to give me more clue that that was about you were setting me up for that. Nah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> like <laughs> Where the enough. witnesses are 12 Monkeys Rewatch Podcast. This is Beep. You can tell that Jen is back. Yeah. After <laughs> Lullaby. She's already back to join us and we're excited. It's a heavy Jennifer episode, so yay. She's recovered uh, from her stroke. Yeah. <laughs> no guarantees that she might not have another one tonight. Well, exactly. She did just warn us if we hear a thud, it's probably the dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> so hi, Emmett. Uh, and of course... I'm joined, as always, by the lovely CC back there somewhere. <laughs> hey, guys. I need to make a formal apology to CBS. Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> no, I refuse. <laughs> CBS is still kind of a garbage network because of, of uh, their diversity and misogyny shit. But anyway, go ahead. I know, but they just hired Terry Metalis to run a show. To, to run MacGyver. So I need to say I went off on them a few podcasts ago when they didn't pick up Apex and I made fun of all of their letter alphabet soup, but name your insert your city. But but now oh, I, I bet that was a sternly worded argument <laughs> against them. I am cross with you, CBS. I am shaking my fist at you. I am very angry. Pout, pout, pout. You know how you know how mean she can get though, Shana, right? I, Beep? Can, I can get mad. <laughs> can't express it. It's so cute how you get mad at things. You're like, oh, I'm so angry right now. (laughs) Oh my god, you know what? We'll go start a Game of Thrones podcast if you want to hear angry. (laughs) (laughs) This bitch will get crazy too and burn shit down. (laughs) Oh man, we gotta do that now. I just want to be part of that. (laughs) Okay. Um, The other fun news that we heard but we don't know a lot of detail is that there is some... Terry Metalis, what did he say? Good old fashioned science fiction and said possibly aliens? Maybe. So, what? what Did he sell something or is he going to be producing something or what? What's the deal? There's no. Don't have details yet. It's cloaked in mystery. It's cloaked in mystery. So. Okay, because I'm what? Because he can't show run two shows, um, especially with CBS usually doing 22 episodes a season for the procedurals. Maybe he's a producer. I don't something. know. All I know is I need more really well-written science fiction in my life. So I think we all do. Yeah. I think just well-written anything we need in our lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So, speaking of well-written television, today we're talking about 211, Resurrection. It was all right. <laughs> <laughs> it was written by Richard E. Robbins, directed by Kevin. How would you guys say it? Tancharoan or Tankaroan? I said both. Choose your own adventure. (laughs) (laughs) My apologies if neither of those were correct. 
know, um, the, the right choice is the one that you make. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice, Jen. Um, did you you had before we started recording? You had some feelings just in generally about this episode. Do you want to do those first, or do you want me to talk about? Well, the I, can, I can do those first. Um, so I watched the so last episode that I was with you guys was Lullaby. So I watched. Um, hyenas, and then the the one after I he- hyenas, and then this one I watched today, and these writers are just dicks. Um, <laughs> y'all are dicks. Look, and, and I mean that in the best way possible because, like, <sighs> look, this is this this episode is a lot. Okay, I I don't re- I didn't I think this is my second watching of this episode, or maybe third time watching it. No, second. And I forgot how much shit was packed into this episode and like fire hose of feels coming from all directions. And mm-hmm. then you got people dying. You've got people fighting against one another. I'm like, dude, this is only like three episodes after Lullaby and you're coming at me again with this shit. Like, <laughs> it's not fair. Y'all are dicks. You need to space this shit out. And then I'm like, how is this not the the season two finale? Right. Because this thing has everything. It has action. It has adventure. It has red storms. It has emotions. It has conflict. It has deaths. It has cliffhangers. I'm like, oh, okay. Whew. That's good. I can go into season three now and keep up with you guys on the podcast. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I don't <laughs> think this is the end. I think they have to do the whole titan mother thing the whole creepy creepy thing they ended season two with i'm like yeah, how two more uh, this this episode is like this episode has everything like it's, this isn't yeah. oh my god it's so it's good bonkers. i think this or the next one i think blood rust washed away could have been a season finale too like you have everybody dead and no way to get back so it's crazy what they pack in it's crazy that all the stuff that they pack in but they pull it all together and they don't lose the threads of what makes this show so great. Like, they never lose sight of the things that are most important to the show, which are the character relationships. Oh, and also, there's time travel happening to occur as well. But but that's nice. But it's like, I don't understand how they have this conflict happening, and I care about everybody that's involved. Even the characters that I, I really don't like all that much, like Ramsey, I still care about throughout this whole episode. And I, I just think that's like... It's one of the most uh, elusive things I think a writer can pull off to mm-hmm. to do this at at this scale with this much drama and not lose the threads of of who these characters are and what they mean to each other. It's just like fucking phenomenal. I, know, I feel like right? I do this every single time I come on this podcast. I just like, oh my god, this is so amazing. The writers are so great. How do they do this? I don't know, but it's it's I'm constantly amazed at like revisiting this series and what it makes me feel about just the craft of, of telling a story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and we know we were talking a little bit last time on the Fatherland, the East Berlin episode, but it really comes, obviously this is, this is the coup episode. Yeah. This is our team. This is our <clears throat> protagonist, our team splinter being divided down the middle with everybody betraying everybody, right? You could say team splinter, splinters. <laughs> <laughs> Damn horn. No, I'm I'm like Bo on Superstore. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. But when we were when we were talking about um what we were talking about last week, but I really, really noticed it in this episode in particular, is 
Everybody has got a really good reason that I understand for why they're falling on either side of things, even if they're taking extreme measures. And I never stop doubting for a moment that they still care about one another. Exactly. And that hei- and it heightens it, right? Like that's what makes it even and you and I like we talked a little bit last time but you we have all watched shows where this type of betrayal and character screwing one another over has ruined shows. Because and- it's all that happens. Oh, it's just right. one betrayal after another and then there's just like Oh, maybe I forgive you. Like if we even well, get that many lines, and then it just goes on to the next time we do it again. There's, there's that beep. There's kind of that that shortcut to action scene to action scene, and these big moments of betrayal. But there's something that I don't know how this show. It this show does small little things that keeps the thread that holds these characters together as found family um, throughout these conflicts. And I don't know exactly how they pull it off. I'm sure that we could like dissect it and go, okay, it's this dialogue here. It's this gesture here. But it's just like they never put the conflict ahead of the characters caring about each other. Like this conflict, like in some of the shows we watched, conflict like this coup and these betrayals become so ordinary because they happen all the time and the emotional stakes keep getting lowered and lowered and lowered to you, to the, to the point where you're just like, Oh, another betrayal. Well, it's not going to really matter because these characters really don't talk anymore and they don't care about each other anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so why should I care about what's going on? And that's and so never the, the case with this show. At that point are even extra textual. Like it's the creators or the writers trying to tell you like, this is still the center of the show and they still care about each other. And you're like, Okay, but do they though? You didn't show that <laughs> like, at all. <laughs> like right. s- skeptical Thor Ragnarok. Do they though? <laughs> it's like right. but even, I should and, hear. <laughs> and even even with so even with sec- like supporting characters like Whitley. Yeah, exactly. You know, they go to they go to lengths and and we we'll just we'll be pointing it out throughout the pod tonight because I, I feel like this is one of these small details that then when you go back and watch it you're like this is why I came out on the other side of it and I'm still invested in all of these people and what they mean to one another right yeah I mean with Whitley they even drop a piece of dialogue on you that lets mm-hmm. you know you know if, if anything happens Jones I'll come after you like right. even though he's on the opposite side of Jones because you know whatever their motivation is at that point in time, you still know that they they have to come back together. And I think I think I noted this I noted this like later on in the run sheet, but it's like we know that these folks are gonna come back together and work together to solve whatever problem that they're facing, even though there's gonna be more conflicts that come, you know, especially in season three with the whole um uh uh you know witness being Cole and Cassie's son. Maybe. Um, but it's like, there's always this sense that they're going to come back together and there's going to be that, that moment where all the heroes step into the shot together and they're on the same team. And it's so cheesy and so tropey. And I love it so much. And I, I don't think, care. I love I it. I don't care. I think like they did it. They, they do it in superhero movies too, where it's like, <gasps> finally, like the, the big hero scene, everybody's in the same shot together. Like they fly in and they're like standing together. And I'm like, I don't care how cheesy and tropey it is. It feels so good, especially if it's earned. 
And nothing about the show ever feels unearned. They always earn these, these hero moments. And like, there's some shows where I go, I don't think that they could pull off a hero moment and have it feel, have it have any emotional resonance because they've, they've pulled people apart so much that there's, there's like, you can't re-stick them together. They're like tape that no longer sticks together. It's just, mm-hmm. it doesn't work anymore. And this show never trips up on that. It yep. always brings people back together, even when they're like chasing each other throughout time, trying to stop one <gasps> another and, and kill somebody's son in order to stop, you know, the destruction of the universe. You know, nothing personal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Emmett, I'm sorry, guys. Emmett sees something. The world exists. Emmett, come here. Yeah. Or even, you know, there are care. I mean, I, I find watching this whole episode, the Ramsey and Cole of it takes on a whole other dimension of tragic, mm-hmm. you know? It's really like you're like they will never be on the same page again until the end. But they but they still gave us that like in the, in the series like in the series finale. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean it just kind of has to, it makes all of the soul crushing heartache worth it. <laughs> you know, right? It, there's certain TV shows where you stop and after a while you're like, "Why am I doing this to myself?" <laughs> I, well, I never feel like they lash out at each other out of spite because they've hurt each other. I always feel like they're going after one another, but they're always going after one another in order to get to an end goal, in order to get to their purpose. And those purposes are often at odds, but they're never like, well, I'm just going to say this mean thing to you because you hurt my feelings back in episode three. It's like, it's not trivial in that way that some shows are. Right. It's not or, just for plot's sake either. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people do have very petty, right? Like Deacon sure. in this episode. Oh no, it's personal, right? But that's, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> dude. <laughs> but it's human, you know. It is You're, human, yeah. but it's it, but it's not it's like also his primary. It, it's it's exa- yeah, exactly that beep. It's acknowledged, but it's also like that's not all Deacon is or becomes through his dialogue. Right. Like yeah. some characters are are so reduced into these little bits of of just ugliness. And this and that doesn't happen with this show because the the I th- I think Terry and the writers actually have respect not only for the characters but the viewers as well that we can handle nuance and and characters paced the way this show paces the characters because it doesn't it doesn't really feel like it rushes anywhere even though this episode was like Bananas. Edge of your seats. Everything is going to be destroyed at, at the Raritan Lab um, if they don't do something in six hours. Right. But they never, they never go. Well, let's just bypass all this character work to get to the the red the red storm thing. We just are really appreciating really good television writing this week. Um, I was thinking a little bit about the title of the episode, Resurrection, and you know, I think there's some really obvious meanings to that, but maybe some other ones that I, maybe not as obvious. Um, I I was thinking a lot about how time travel in many time travel stories, but you know, in this one, and obviously in this episode, it can, it can serve as almost like this, like godlike force in that it enables, it enables people to be brought back to life. Um, Even, even if it's actually happening or if it's perception like what we talked about last episode with agent gale um or bringing ramsey back at the end right or deacon like right this is the first time we have somebody being plucked from earlier in a timeline 
to bring them back, right? And it's going to yeah. happen a lot more times. And so our protagonists are doing that. Um, and then you have our antagonists, Army of the Twelve Monkeys, and their whole goal, their whole faith is this really kind of in some ways, it's kind of unique idea of resurrection and that you can bring back the people that you have lost and live with them in that moment, right? And so for our protagonists, they're using t- time travel to resurrect people. Our antagonists want to destroy time to resurrect the people they've lost. Um, but then when I was thinking about sort of, there's a lot of different characters that are choosing to become... I don't know if better is or, or a, a different version of themselves in this episode, right? So you've got old Jennifer advising young Jennifer, like, you can be braver. You can make different choices than me. And her try- kind of, like, girding her loins and walking to that room being brave. And then you have Cassie. Really, Cassie really goes through a journey in this episode. Um And at the end of it, saying, I'm choosing not to be afraid, right? Like, she's... Uh, uh, kind of rounding the bend of this journey that she's had where she closed herself down. Um, You have Deacon, who's ready to, like, you know, just go out like he came in, (laughs) Um, you know, and he just, he finds, you know, some of it is personal, but I think some of it is a little bit of finding inspiration in what Cole says, like he finds another reason to go on. And then you contrast that with a character like Ramsey, who he, you know, he's like, I'm already dead. And he's never really going to bounce back from this. So I was kind of thinking about sort of, it's not only the like actual bringing back somebody from the dead or plucking somebody earlier from their timeline. It's also like characters kind of taking, making decisions to, to create a different version of themselves. Yeah. It's like a soft reset button. Yeah. All right, so we start off with old Jennifer in her tent, and the daughters are very concerned because she is not going anywhere despite these storms coming. And we watch her burning all of these objects that we, as the audience, associate with with young Jennifer's journey so far. So we see the Helljar article, we see the article about Leland Goines, we see her Markridge badge, we see primary drawings, we see the picture of her from her room when she was a little girl next to the pool. Um, and we were talking a little bit about it in the last episode where it was sort of Olivia's arc rounding the bend. And so I think it's interesting that they're they're kind of planting a flag early on that this is Jennifer rounding the bend by burning all of these symbols of sort of the journey the audience had gone on with her so far, because she's going to now leave that time period for a while. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, that's an, that's an interesting parallel to Olivia because Olivia goes to visit something from her past in order to break with the witness um, as well. Mm-hmm. So I, it, I, I hadn't kind of put those two, two things together that, like a lot of thing, a lot of characters are switching things up um, in this la- latter half of the season, um, and it's important to to kind of to to everybody that this is like not a breaking point, but like a turning point for a lot of of different characters. Right, and it's one where a future version of them knows what's coming. Right, like. Mm-hmm. You know, season four, Olivia knows her loop and is going to do all sorts of things to keep it intact, right? And now you've got old Jennifer saying, today is the day, one that ends at the beginning and begins at the end, right? And every time she says that, it's just like, ugh. <laughs> right? 
like all that that means. But you well, know, that's it, the whole theme of season two as well. They start that in in two hundred one and do it again in two thirteen about you know there's a narration from uh, mm-hmm. what's her name Marilyn Madeline Stowe Madeline Stowe yeah um, where she talks about you know this is a story that begins at the end and ends at the beginning. Right. Oh, well, I mean, then you have Hannah asking her, like, who are you waiting for, James Cole? And every time Hannah is, like, saying James or James Cole, it just Mm. gives me, like, a feels attack, right? Because I think that that was um, a choice that Brooke Williams made. Because everyone else just calls him Cole. I mean, except the ones who are, you know, like, primaries and stuff and uh, people out of time that are not, like, directly kind of interacting with him and, and only know him from the mythology, if you will. Like, people who get around him right. call him Cole. Yeah. Um, but she obviously, you know, she is waiting for James Cole. <laughs> so Hannah's right. <laughs> She's Jennifer in one way or another seems to always be waiting for James Cole. Um, exactly. But Jen, you had a point about old Jennifer. That she makes me feel dumb? <laughs> is, is that what you wanted me to say on your podcast? No, I didn't even see what you were supposed to say, but I'm really happy we have it recorded. (laughs) If it makes you feel any better, old Jennifer even makes young Jennifer feel kind of dumb. Well, I I don't, I guess I'm just not smart enough to really understand what beginning at the end and ending at the beginning really means. Well, yeah, I mean, today's a day where she dies, but she also is kind of... Reborn? Okay. Yeah, right. re- like resurrecting herself and she gets another shot. It's like a do-over, you know? I mean, because this old Jennifer has already lived through this day. Yeah. Wait, no. No. Yeah. No. She hasn't. Oh, wait, yes. Yes, she has. But She's as young Jennifer. Right. Wait. What? Right. <laughs> <laughs> she, she does say that the first she knows time Deacon she chose Scar, to- Right, and she chose, to st- she chose not to go to Titan. Yeah, she chose to flee in another direction. So how does she do this before if this is the day she dies? I have a whole thought on that. I didn't think we were going to get there right now. Well, let's let's put a pin in that and let's come back to it later. That. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I have a feeling that's going to get – that's just going to make me um, – Really confused. Did you take an aspirin today, Jen? <laughs> no, but it's too early in this podcast to confuse me that quickly. So <laughs> let's let's wait till to closer to that. Scene. I will say this right here. I believe that old Jennifer has lived through this as young Jennifer, like on her side of it. I don't believe that old Jennifer has lived through her own death. I think she has seen her own death. Well, yeah, she does say it doesn't hurt. She does say it doesn't it it doesn't hurt as much as I expected. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like future asshole. Like, she's seen this happen, but it was when she was younger. Oh. Well, but but an old Jennifer didn't di- she didn't die on this day and went and took them away and didn't go to Titan. Okay. That's what I have thoughts on. So that's where okay. we put the pin. All right. We're okay. going to put the okay. pin in that. Okay. All right. So if we don't have anything else about old Jennifer waiting in the tent... We go um, to Rar- to Raritan, and we've got I, – I mean, again, this is another – just like the last episode where Ramsey was the one that masterminded sort of the pulling one over on Cole to go to 1961. This whole montage with Ramsey orchestrating a coup while sitting in his cell again reminds me of the Ramsey. Like, he learned how to do this when he was studying the art of war and all of those texts that Olivia gave him when he was sitting in jail in Japan. And he's able to do all of this, right? It's like when he took down the one guy without – 
lifting a finger. Mm-hmm. He's able to orchestrate all of this just from from sitting there. So I've, it's like another – this is like the third time during season two where I feel like they kind of go back to that that character thread for Ramsey. Like he knows how to be strategic. He knows it from – because the enemy taught him that. You know, it's kind of crazy watching it all go down and, and he's still locked up. Um, if you guys didn't have anything else about Ramsey. Um, <laughs> never. Never. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. <laughs> I know Jen's just waiting for the moment when Jones headbutts him. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we've got the, this first conversation between Cole and Jones, which is, is really important because I think it informs that scene at the end or I feel like my heart is going to burst out of my chest when she says, thank you for believing in me, right? So this is Jones looks tired. Mm -hmm. She sounds not confident at all, right? She's saying things like, if only the world had a better physicist to save it, right? I mean, this isn't... The yeah, she's, selling, she's selling, showing some cracks in her confidence, and she's always been, like, the most convicted out of all of them in, in her cause. Even right? when she's lying. Exactly. Right. So either either she has a – and maybe it's a little bit of both, right? Like with him, with, with Cole, she's like, you know, 1957's a hope, right? But when Ramsey is like, this is all just more of your bullshit theory, she's more adamant. And maybe that's just because it's under stress. But with Cole, she's letting her guard down a little bit and showing mm-hmm. him that she's not feeling as confident. And – I, you know, I know I'm not going to just, I I am going to end up yelling. It's her grandson a lot (laughs) on this pod. But like Cole saying, I never could have done any of this if I didn't believe in you. She doesn't react as much to it in this scene. But we, like, he is going to prove that. Like, this whole episode is about him believing that she is the right answer and going to all kinds of lengths and against two of the people that mean the most to him in the world to be able to execute this mission. That's her idea, right? And I'm, mm-hmm. it's like, in some ways, Cole is one of the people in this story who has the most faith in Jones, like the whole way through. Well, I think this is this is like, at this point, they've had, what, mostly failure when they've, when they've actually used time travel to go back and try to fix things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, they, they pushed the plague a little bit at the beginning of... Uh, Season two, and then um, they also stopped one of the paradoxes. But, like, they're one for two, and, you know, the storm is upon them. Like, the literal end of the Earth, or at least end of of everything surrounding them is, like, imminent. Yeah, and even when they go rogue and try to go back to, what was it, like, 1961 um, in Fatherland? Mm -hmm. I I know they they didn't get the time to do what they needed to do because they they pulled them back from their – with their tethers – um, but it's just like, I can understand why this coup happens because they keep doing the same thing over and over again and it keeps, keeps not working to the extent that it needs to. So I, I would be like, okay, 1957, this last paradox, this is bullshit. We have to go in the present right now to this place called Titan mm-hmm. and shut the witness down in this timeline, right, right where he, he's at. Because we can't depend on time travel to actually fix any of it. It feels immutable at this point. Well, especially because they don't know exactly when the paradox occurs in 1957. With the other two, they knew exactly when they were, and they still didn't get one of them. Yeah, this is a fucking needle in a haystack. You've got Yeah, now they have a year to figure it out. Yeah. Um, 
and a, a year to figure something out that hasn't proven to be successful in the past. Like, I don't know if I would be on Jones's side either. Um, if there was another alternative that had never been tried before. Right. Well, which so is let's, chasing the witness down where he lives. Right. So, like, let's, we'll, we're going to jump into that in a minute because we're going to go to sort of Team Coup <laughs> and <laughs> Adler and Ramsey and Cassie talking about all this. But really quickly, there's some great lines about the worst thing about betrayal is it never comes from your enemies. And, you know, like, that's why it's so terrible. <laughs> That's right? why it's like, called betrayal. I know right? all, it can't be betrayal if you're if it's right. Bad. I mean, but I love it because both the last episode and this one, you have conflict, and you have a conflict over strategy and principles. But because the conflict is between people that should trust each other, everything is personal, right? Like. It's personal and it's not like people are not doing things to screw their friends over, but it has really personal ramifications that they just totally like sink their teeth into, right? Like throughout the whole episode. Um, but I think it's great. Whitley is totally playing them. He's like, yeah, you know, we got to be ready for everything. And it's like, dude, they got to be ready for you. <laughs> You're the one who's doing like, right? He's the one that makes everything possible. Yeah. Um, so before we, before we, um, Get like let's go to the actual like kind of strategy where they lay out what Adler has figured out. So you've got Adler's figured out that Titan's location is in Colorado, and then he says we can use the time machine to get there, time travel without the time, which is like what the splitter suits are going to be all about, right? <laughs> For like the next rest of the series. Um, so Ramsey's plan is. You kill the witness, and then you use his machine, and you'll have all of his resources to try and go back and undo everything he ever did. So, do you guys think that's a good plan? Um, no, I don't. I don't see why it isn't a good plan. I think nothing has been working before. No, no, no. I'm not saying that that I believe anything's going to work right now, but I think it's too broad. Well, nothing's going to work because they're both, what did Megan say last podcast? They're playing pickup sticks while season four Olivia is playing three-dimensional chess. chess. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so both of these, both of these missions that they are coming to blows over are both, I, I think of them both in some ways as traps, right? Like, and they're not, stopping the paradox is just going to like put things off for a little bit, right? Mm. I mean, obviously it's going to temporarily stop the world from destroying, but it's not going to actually get at what the problem is. I think it's interesting that Ramsey wants to use the machine to undo everything the witness ever did, where and that's kind of like the reverse of what they will ultimately have to do, right? And like deleting coal from everything he ever did. Yeah. Yeah. But Beep, why do you think it's not a good idea? Um, well, one of the reasons that I could point to is, I mean, I don't know why they think they would know how to use his machine. That would scare me. Mm-hmm. Like, or assuming it's the same and that, I mean, but is Adler coming? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then, sorry, cut that. Uh, I'm telling myself, cut that, Brandy. Okay, thanks. Oh, anyway. I mean, Adler's, but no, Adler's the calculations guy. It doesn't mean he's going to know what the fuck Oh, no, I meant asking if he came. Oh, yeah. Um, cause obviously Ramsey's not gonna fucking work a machine. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm confident that everything that they're saying after the 
execution of the witness. It, like, I mean, you become, it becomes to me then mu- as much hope as the other plan. Right. And Jen, you would be, I love it. Is this the moment you're on Ramsey's side? I wouldn't put it that way. <laughs> um, more on Cassie's side. Um, I think that, I think that they have to, switch up their tactics because obviously just chasing things so what they're doing in with the splinter machine feels very reactive that they're always reacting to something that the witness or the army of the 12 monkeys is doing and this feels more proactive Mm -hmm. i mean it might just be a shot in the dark and they might not know how to use the machine or they might die a titan, but at least they're changing things up and taking the fight to the witness basically in his own, um, you know, created time travel city. Um, and I, I kind of like at the end how the, 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 the coup, the, the, the two, two teams, as it were, get to basically try what they wanted to do from the very beginning, but they actually kind of agree to not disagree anymore and split up as it were mm-hmm. and go about doing their own thing, even though doing one thing is going to cost people their quote unquote lives um, at the Raritan facility. Um, I, I just, I just don't, th- I, I don't think that they could, I think it would have been stupid to just go, all right, well, nothing else has worked with stopping the paradox, but this last one, Somehow that's going to be different. I just don't think that they could count on that. I, uh, to be frank, I'm not exactly, well, it's not frank at all. It's totally muddled. I don't know where I fall, honestly, in making this decision. What I would say is this, the only like concrete thing that I think we have, if they were able to stop this paradox, as they have done once before, it would at least buy them time because it pulled the storms back. Mm-hmm. This is supposed to be the one that, you know, like, ends the world if you will but even we don't even have to end the world so much as we're about to just destroy this location yeah i mean if they can at least get back and prevent that then it gives us some time to regroup if you only have one choice that's all yeah yeah totally i mean the time pressure the time pressure is key but i mean just to play devil's advocate if you're not able to stop the paradox in 1957 because you can't find what you're looking for right you don't know Mm -hmm. what you're looking for then the universe is destroyed and you lose your shot at going after the witness. Yeah, so but either what if, way, what, uh, this what is if hedging the witness is not in Titan? Or what if Titan is not actually well they think it's in the same Or time. what if I didn't or, know it can travel yet? Or what if Titan is a fucking trap? <laughs> yeah. Like like Cole says multiple times and you yeah. wanna like hit your head against the wall. Right. See, I mean that's so- my thing at the end of the day too. I I lied. I know what side I fall on. I said it <laughs> last time, and this is why. Jennifer said Titan leads to death, and I listened to Jennifer. End of story. So you know what? I beep, I don't know if you remember. Um I went back and I listened to the sci-fi podcast. Um, and I believe they had Shantretta on for this episode. So I think it's I think it's Shantretta who said that, or, or maybe it was Terry Matalas. I don't remember. I don't want to misquote people, but what I remember from it is that this plot line was born from the writers' room debate about what the story should be. Yeah, it makes sense. And that then when they were going around and around in circles, like debating it, like we just did, they finally were like, well, then that's the story. Yeah, like have the both. characters do that, right? And so. Um, I think, you know, it's maybe that's why it's such a good debate. 
I feel like every time I want, you know, like the first time around, I think I probably was with like, I trusted Jones more than I trusted Ramsey, but I got what they were saying. But this time around, I'm kind of like, yeah, you really see like this has even gotten to Whitley, like the stakes. Oh, it's ju- huge. Juxta- sure. Juxtaposed with the feeling that they never get anywhere. Something's got to change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And on my own and looking at the plans, like, that's what I would say. Like, why are we still doing this crap? And then I'd go back and forth. But, like, you have to make a choice. And so I would say go with Jennifer. Yeah. Not too tighten, but her advice. So well, the, the the other thing is, though, it's like if you, if you, if you kind of, like, consider Jones's conviction and the whole thing from her point of view and her personal motivations – at some point, you're like, we keep doing the same thing over and over again. Jones insists that we keep trying this, but Jones is very much has her has her own motivations to go back and save Hannah, um, which obviously she doesn't need to do anymore. But she, I guess, takes on a much larger um, role of saving the world. But you're like, what? What is? When has Jones ever asked me if I'm Whitley or? Um, uh, at, is it Adler? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, when has Jones ever asked these guys, hey, are you still with me? Do you believe that I care about your outcomes? Because I never get the sense that from Jones that she has a, a, an outward empathy towards these other characters who very much have their own personal stakes in this. Um, I always just kind of feel like she's she becomes... I hate to use the zealot word, but she she verges on it a little bit as we go further and further into season two, um, that she might lose the thread a little bit about what others want and what others' motivations are to make this thing happen, um, to make, you know, Project Splinter a success at the end of the day. So I, I don't know if you guys kind of feel the same way that Jones is... is, is in the same time, kind of losing faith in herself, but also just not really being attentive to the needs of others around her. Yeah, I think she's only really connecting with Cole. Mm-hmm. Right. And well, different, I think and different characters have different, you know, like uh, Jones at the end of the day is not a people person. She's not going to be no. like the per- like Cole able to figure out a way to connect and motive like connect with Deacon and motivate him. Right. Like they have different. I, I like that that's consistent with them, like, if that but makes sense. I, I like that the consistency, too, but it's like, at some point, you're like, okay, so if if you believe in Jones, there has to be a point where that faith becomes shaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very easy to have your faith shaken when you go, you know what, Jones keeps plotting forward and keeps doing the same thing over and over again. And we're not changing things. Nothing's getting better. And I don't feel like my personal stakes have any sort of resonance with her. So why should I throw my weight behind Jones at this point rather than go with, with Cassie and Ramsey on a more proactive, um, course of action that's never been tried before? Right. And you absolutely like, I think that's why this coup works so well, right? I mean, and Whitley gives voice to that later when he's like, no, 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 no. It was your mission. Uh It was never ours. Now it's ours, right? Like, it's not – you're right. Like, you're getting at – it's not just what they're doing, 
But now everyone feels like it's, you know, because in the past it's been like a situation room. Everybody throws out their idea and then Jones is like, okay, so we're going to, I pick option B and that's what everybody has to do, right? And so there's definitely some angst about that mechanism of decision making and you combine that with not getting results and that's why we have a coup. Yeah, exactly. I Where's mean, what you just oddly Failure is a powerful no- motivator. <laughs> Here's what I think you just established in an interesting parallel. Jones is kind of Team Splinter's witness. And here's what I mean by that. We just watched Olivia go through this whole journey where she's like, this is what I was told. This is what I was promised. This is what, you know, is supposed to come to fruition. And I'm not seeing any of this. So I'm not sure if I believe in you. And under... Under Jones' tutelage, that's what's going on with everyone at Project Spark. Or not everyone, but many there. Oh, you like, promised us these things. Yeah. You said I'd get my son back. You, you know, told me, like, that the sacrifice at Spearhead was worth it. You told me this isn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. You've promised all these things, and they have not come to fruition. So I'm not really sure how I feel about you. So, like, our little coup group is, all, in some ways, besides the ones who are just, like, revenge, 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 are in some ways going through the same thing that Olivia was going through with the witness. Yeah, and she's going to lead a like her own before she figures out she's leading a coup against herself. She's um she's well gets it. Uh she but she's going to lead her own insurrection, right? Her own group that's fighting against mm-hmm. army, right? So yeah, that's a great parallel beat. So it's it's ultimately about a coup is about when the rank and file lose faith in their leader. And everyone but Cole has lost faith in Jones. I mean, inside the facility, Jennifer still believes in her outside of it, yeah. right? But well, and Lasky because he's just gonna do. And oh, Lasky, Lasky. the real Lasky is the real time Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Cole just got an injection and got in a chair. Lasky's over there. Lasky really dies like three out. times, three times, and comes back three times on this show. Lasky is the time Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you even have like a trinity of resurrection for him. He, it's the whole thing. All right, so that those are that th- those are the like strategic principled sides of both this, of, of the debate, right? What's great about this scene, just to take it back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, is. There's a whole personal level to this conversation between Cassie and Ramsey. Ramsey is the one who, as he says later, like he's dead inside. He is consumed with this mission of revenge. And that is like, it's like he's got blinders on to everything else. And it's Cassie who reminds us of the coup that we witnessed in season one, which by the way, Jones led, right? Where she brought everyone in recruit Whitley recruited his father and every like everybody died (laughs) except for a small group of survivors and so constantly throughout this episode it keeps coming back to Cassie saying what about Cole and Ramsey kind of coaches Cassie through this being like go back you know we go back in her head is the witness at Titan and she says yes and he's like so then be ready and don't think twice and This episode, particularly on rewatch, is just a really interesting journey because she's sure what she's doing is right, but you can see that, like, the emotions that she has kept shut down, like, she's struggling a little bit with them, right? Like, she's at, I feel like she's at war. There's, like, an internal war going on within her between the personal with Cole 
and what she thinks is like the right choice mission wise. And Jen, you had a point just sort of about the way the scene is acted between the two of them, right? Well, yeah, because it, it's weird because I, I, I noticed this because it stood out to me that, that Ramsey actually reaches forward and puts his hands on, on Cassie's shoulders as he's talking to her. And I don't remember them ever like being physically intimate in any way, shape or form. And just like two episodes ago, they were strapped to chairs lying about why they hated each other Mm -hmm. um, to, to the, the historian guy. So I just thought it was uh, an interesting kind of turn of events between these two characters and that, and I think just that, that small gesture of, of, you know, human contact with another person shows that that connection that they they've kind of developed over the last couple of episodes because they've had this common goal of revenge against the witness like he finally has somebody on his side like if you think about it ramsey's always kind of been the loner when it comes to the mission that he finds most important Mm -hmm. especially after his son um dies Mm -hmm. or is taken from him Mm -hmm. it's like it's ramsey against the world and that's pretty much throughout the rest of this, the, the series is that it's always him acting alone. Even when he's like part of the, the, the army of the 12 monkeys, he still feels like he's always apart from everybody. Um, the only family that he's ever had has been Cole. And now he's kind of got like an ally with Cassie, even if it's short lived. Um, and I think, it, I think that kind of connection between the two of them culminates at the end of this episode as well where they just kind of share a look and he knows that she has to go with Cole. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of extraordinary how far these two characters have come with each other since, you know, they kind of they kind of didn't get along. Um <laughs> <laughs> and he's so slick. No, and he's and this is it, man, because he's going to want to kill her in about 5 episodes. <laughs> So this is our apex of Cassie and Ramsey togetherness. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Until there's this also kind of indicates though, like this human contact contact indicates that what he says in a little bit about I'm already dead is maybe not as true as he thinks. That's true, but I mean he's also he's a, he's uh, this scene strikes me like he's like it's like he's a coach. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, Cassie is reticent, and he is talking her through to get her on board, right? And he reaches out that physical tie. It, it almost feels like a coach talking to someone, right? He's like coaching her through it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the other thing that I think that it does that's important is this is an episode where Cassie and Cole are going to come to like physical blows. And by the end of the next episode, they're going to be making out. And so you got to show us like they use this scene and they do it throughout that she is not as gung-ho about this as Ramsey is. And there's a reticence there. Right. And it's an important like character and character relationship note. If you want me to buy that, they get together in the next episode, right? Like it's spanning years for the characters, but for the audience, think about what's going to happen at the end of the next episode. So yeah, it does. It does a lot, but it is a really interesting moment between Cassie and Ramsey for sure. Do you guys have anything else about that? Nope. All right. So let's go to the Situation Room before the coup. Um, Beep, do you remember when um Crystal was on and we were talking about how rough it is when Cassie ripped up that photograph from 1944? I mean, it's brutal. <laughs> but he 
He brought it back and he taped it. <laughs> he put it back up on the bulletin of board. Of course he did. Oh, man. It's like he kept his little scrapbook of <laughs> fake casserole happy memories. And it's back up on the bulletin board. Aw, <laughs> oh, poor Cole. Um, it's like his version of listening to like a sad mixtape. Um <laughs> <laughs> He so, totally would, too, listen to a sad mixtape. Oh, for sure. For sure. Oh, God. Cole's got a mixtape. It probably has, like, some journey on there. Absolutely. Um, so, it is. I mean, I think it's interesting, right? You had the last episode end in this very dramatic, there is no we, right? And it's kind of like that very human thing that this whole scene, the way it plays out with Cassie and Cole – where you get into like a big fight with someone and you say those like dramatic things and then some time goes by and you kind of are like trying to not quite not make amends but you're trying to reach out around the elephant in the room. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, right? Like so he's staring at that photograph. It's clear that he's like feeling if not regret, because I think from his point of view, he's justified in being angry, but like some sadness, right? They're taking the bulletin board down, right? This could be it. And Mm -hmm. things are pretty shitty between the two of them. And so she's stitching up the woman. He reaches out and it's like, you should come with me to 57. And this whole, I think the way this whole scene plays out, it's interesting because they're clearly She's pissed at him for saying there is no we, right? Like, it's very human, her reaction. Like, I thought there was no we. Um, He's still dealing with stuff, but they're both on their own ways trying to say, no, you come with me on my mission, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, it's – that's kind of how it co- – so it, it's it's kind of – I think it's, like, an interesting – like, they're not connecting, but they're both trying, and it's another – it's a really awkward, hey, what you doing later? Yeah. <laughs> right. Come on my mission. But it's kind of like, I don't hate you. I just hate that you're wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, Cassie's, there is no we. Remember, I'm like, oh, man, I totally would fucking say that, too. <laughs> right? You throw that back in the guy's face. Like, what? Um, but... They also get into, I think there's some really interesting Cassie character stuff going on in this scene, right? So she says, the fight is here, Cole. I'm not running away with you. And Cole is like, you think that's what I'm doing, running away? And then she's really angry and is like, don't try to save me. And, you know, the the way... Cassie is always a character that is so, like, right? We've talked about it before, like, Cassie and agency and making her own choices... It's, like, such a fundamental part of that character. Um, Especially after that agency has been so readily violated. Right, right. And and maybe she's, I don't know, like, doubling down on the guilt that she feels about what happened, right? And he says later on in the episode for letting the witness in and everything that happened from it. But the really kind of, like, important piece that is kind of Cole's opening argument, and he's going to kind of close the loop on this later when he says what you're doing right now shutting everything down so you don't feel the pain that's running away that's what shifts the conversation to get her to say come with me on my mission right and so he says a lot of things about being afraid shutting down emotions and you think about what her last line in this episode is and he's clearly hitting on something Mm -hmm. that's kind of been her character journey this whole season right it's like this 
not false bravado, but like it's a compartmentalization. Yeah, that yeah. up till this point she's been able to you know keep intact, and it, those walls or compartments are falling. There's syrup in the waffles, if you will. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> in the waffles. They're soggy. It's the walls are coming out. <laughs> all mixing together. Well, I mean, I think it's Cassie's such an interesting contrast with, like, the the character of Cassandra Rayleigh, you would never call someone who's scared, right? Like, she is fearless in how she faces danger and her, like, physical confidence, right? Like, at, the, at particularly like now in season two. But underneath that is this Fear of intimacy, of feelings, of of loss, loss, right? She's which, not afraid of the feeling. She's afraid of what happens when she loses the person about right. which she feels so strongly. Right. I mean, I think it's that. I think it's also like if you think what she said back to Deacon, like that part of me, that part of me is long gone. Like I can't do the things I need to do if I let myself do that. So. Yeah, I think this conversation has a lot of really great breadcrumbs that are gonna, or not breadcrumbs, seeds that are gonna, we're gonna see sort of. But then he fucking handcuffs her. <laughs> so, ah, oh, we just talked about Cassie and agency, and you know he figures out that she's planning, she's planning a coup, and it's like another fucking betrayal, right? She's planning something else behind his back. On the other hand. He handcuffs her and takes away her agency and chooses Jones's mission over hers. It's like betrayal jinx. <laughs> <laughs> it is like betrayal jinx. Yeah, they have they have to they have to betray one another before the other one has the chance to betray one another. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have anything else about this? I I just like on rewatch, I was just like, there's some really interesting things going on with Cassie's character journey in this episode. Yeah, I guess I, I don't. I guess I have to go watch season two again a little bit more to really understand where her fear is coming from. Because when you watch it, like I haven't kind of dribs and drabs, bits and pieces here and there. Um, I'm losing a little bit of her through line um, to this point in the season. I'm I'm losing a little bit of her motivation for some of her actions, but that's I I guess I should put that on me um, and the way I've been kind of consuming this media. Well, the one that's the biggest at this point, I mean, at least you know at the forefront that brought her and Ramsey together was the fact that uh, from two o seven that the witness came into the facility through her and that yeah you know uh, what's his head? Dang it. How come I can't remember people's names? Eklund, Sam. Yes. Eklund and Sam were both theoretically killed because Mm -hmm. of her. And so Mm -hmm. now she wants vengeance, not only for them, but because, you know, she's also been violated directly. Yeah. But where, where, where's the, I guess it, does she, is she afraid of losing her agency again or losing people because she's unable to maintain control. I guess I'm just a little, she's afraid of the emotional connection. Yeah. I mean, like what happens if I kind of very basic or I might, yeah, I might not be able to do what I need to do if I care too much about you. Okay. Yeah. And in some ways it's a continuation of the conversation and lullaby, right? Like she shut that down because she's afraid of loss and, everything that right like so if you i think that's part of it and part of it is also kind of like this crazy journey she's been on 
with watching her fiance get burned alive, losing everything, (laughs) being stuck in the apocalypse, right? Like, how do you deal with that shit? You have to shut your emotions down or you can't get through the things that you need to do. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. Like, fear, there's a lot of things at play there, right? Like, she's... He calls her out later in the episode of being scared because she's the one who let the witness in. She's scared of turning her emotions on because she feels like she won't be able to do what it takes. She's scared of turning her emotions on with Cole because of losing him and they are like epically fucked. So like she is going to lose him one way or another. So she's scared of a lot of different things. But this, there's a lot of interesting conversations as we go throughout this episode where we're kind of watching her marginally move toward where she's at at the end of this episode, if that makes sense. Yeah. Are you guys ready to go to Cole and Ramsey? Sure. Are we? Of course we are. This scene is so sad now, guys. It makes me really, I feel like the whole face-off between them and watching Cole holding a gun to him and this insurmountable conflict between them, and yet there's still obviously so much love, is basically now, when you watch it, it just is like this crushing preview of Brothers. Yeah, it's also been a long time coming, though. Yeah, well, yeah. They keep, I mean, they just keep, Cole and Ramsey are like the tragic friendship of this story. Yeah, Yeah, they've basically been on opposite sides since season one. I mean, they've come, they've come together to do certain things, but normally it's for different purposes. And it all goes, they, it all goes back to Ramsey's son, right? Well, they've been, yeah, but they they've been in conflict before Ramsey's son. Like even going back to the West Seven, and sure. they've always and, been in um, conflict. Yeah, it it just it just seems like this is their journey. That it's always going to be like two brothers butting heads over different different. Goals and philosophies about how to approach things. But the older brother, especially because, I mean, of how young they were when they started, Ramsey almost takes on a father figure approach to Cole. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Particularly, like, in this scene, right? Like, he... Yeah. I mean, I just... Uh, there is... They, again, are so careful, right? They're showing us that Ramsey's telling the soldier, don't shoot, right? Stand down. Um... He's walking up to Cole. He's giving him a chance to walk away. And Cole is like, no, right? Like, it is so clear that, like, this isn't about – they still really care about one another. And even though Ramsey is not quite as voicing doubt as Cassie is, like, this scene to me is pivotal – in this like tragic journey <laughs> like so cole warns him saying jennifer said there's nothing but death at titan you don't know what you're walking into you'll kill yourself trying and you sit there you're like all true <laughs> like, oh. and then ramsey oh my god there's so many lines and they're like either emotional or foreshadowing like grenades all right so let's like unpack them one by one you have Ramsey say, I'm already dead. And in I think as we I mentioned a little bit before, this really is this like point of no return for Ramsey. So even when Cole resets things in Titan, the reason why everybody is like ends up getting split up and stuck there is because Ramsey is like a mad dog and won't let it go. And then when he is reunited with Sam and has to like kill his mortally wounded son he will come back to this facility under false pretenses and 
and it will reach the point where Cole has to kill him, right? So, like, this really is, like, a character point of no return for Ramsay that, like, on rewatch, at least it really hit me watching it, right? Like, they are never really going to be on the same page again until the end. Yeah, and this is where kind of Ramsay breaks down for me, is that I think I've, I I may have mentioned this on a previous episode, but he becomes, he he becomes very single-minded, and to me, that's not a very interesting character, I understand that he he has a role in the narrative, um, but I but I think like that role in the narrative, at least in my perspective, makes that that character really uninteresting. It's kind of the same thing that a lot of times um, stories do with villains that make them very kind of one dimensional and um, strong willed for just for for one thing that they're trying to do. And his becomes a story about revenge. And to me, that's not interesting. It really, it really isn't all that interesting whatsoever. And that's why probably I don't like Ramsey all that much. Hmm. Um, I, I guess I find him interesting because, like, he went on quite a journey this season, right? Like, he was willing to give up the existence of his son and help them, even though, which is quite, quite a turnaround um, from season one where he went as so far as to actually aid the army of the 12 monkeys um, to avoid that. And so now I feel like this is watching just like we have watched Cassie break down and do things that we never thought she would do, like contrary to Cole because of the trauma that happened to her during the meltdown episode. That's what we're watching with Ramsey and both of them on team revenge it's just that cassie is able to pull back from it i think in large part because of her connection with cole it's what the choice she makes at the end of this episode and and ramsey has lost his son um and i I mean as a parent i understand like i understand i understand that emotional motivation like i get that it's why i still find him interesting is even if you have this revenge story even like this scene is a good example you still have that emotional connection to cole and that's what makes him interesting to me if that makes sense yeah i mean i understand it it's just but it's it's also your emotional reaction like it is what it is you feel what you feel when you watch him like yeah i'm just a little i'm just a little weary of him only being about his son um and then being about revenge it's just like people aren't that I guess most people aren't that single-minded and there's more nuance to people than just that. It, it just, I don't know. It's just, it, it makes him wholly uninteresting to me as, as a character. If Like, if, I, I get you moved to the side. There's other more important or more interesting things to talk about than you and your son. I, get, I guess. I, I get that. But I think if somebody lost their child, there are many people that would end up like Ramsey particularly with the with the like excruciating torture that you don't even know what happened to your child right like he doesn't know if he's dead he doesn't know if he's stranded it's like it's like the it's like a parent's nightmare um right it's like the equivalent of your child being kidnapped and then you never know what happened to them and you can't protect them so i get it but i mean this is you know this is the interesting thing we have since season one with people coming on have gone around and around on him right like he's kind of like a flashpoint character on the show we're only going to have him around for a few more episodes um if we could move really quickly to what he says because it is some crazy 
both emotional gut punch, but also foreshadowing. What he says to Cole is, you can't know. You've never had a family. You've never been a father. And I wonder, like, do you think the writers were just fucking cackling at that line? <laughs> like, given what we're going to find out at the end of this season <laughs> with Cole well, possibly well, being. Of course. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I mean, there'd be something wrong with them if they weren't. But also, that's just a dick line. That's <laughs> um, so great. <laughs> but, I mean, no, I mean, the, the, the first part. Oh, of no, it, no, no. Let's, you know, I, I want to get to the. You've pr- never had a family. Like, fuck you, Rams. I you know. This family. Okay, so we're going to get to that in a second. But, like, the foreshadowing it, is Cole's journey the next season is going to be like a fucking dark turn and then going rogue on Team Splinter for his son. And so I think it's like a fascinating like preview of what Cole's journey is going to be because it's not just about you've never had a son and he's about to be a father and he doesn't and we the audience don't know it but it's also going to be his motivation and it's going to it's it's going to be what like Cole is going to be the one who betrays Jones and he and Cassie like leave the team and they don't try and take it over but they go rogue right and then they're mm-hmm. right and it's about their son so it just hits me on a lot of levels but yes Going back to the personal, when Cole says, I always thought you were my family, it's such a fuck you to Cole, right? Like, that's- Yeah, it's a huge fuck you. <sighs> yeah. That's that's why I'm just like, yeah, I'm I'm over Ramsey when he says stuff like that. It's hard. I think that's kind of him lashing out like Cassie did, though. You know, like, I thought you said there was no we, and it's kind of like, this is his thing. You never had a family. Like, I'm writing you off, too. Because you wrote well, me Yeah, off. I just, it just feels, it feels more like a dick punch than what, <laughs> well, I what, think, what Cassie said. I think what it is, is he, Cole, Ramsey is his found family. Yeah. And what I think is really interesting is... Ramsey's articulating it like you've never had a family, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it seems like he's saying, and I guess on some level he's saying like biological versus found, and so it feels shitty that he's like placing more value on one versus the other. Yeah, especially with all the time they've spent together and like literally grew up together. Right, and he said you're my brother, right? Like you're family. Um, on the other hand, the way this scene plays out – with Cole being unable to, despite the stakes, despite everything on the line, right? Like, if Ramsey is able to pull off this coup, they go on this mission, Cole thinks the world's going to end. He's still unable to shoot him. Mm-hmm. The difference in brothers is it's about Cole's one. It's about Cassie. And for this scene, like for right now, for Ramsey, his one, his son, trumps Cole. And revenge for his son. And that trumps, even though he loves Cole, I mean, he, I think it's, I think it's a beautifully acted scene. I think they always have really great chemistry. And when he says that, I always thought you were my family. And Ramsey says, I love you too. I mean, that's something that these characters in the past have like always joked around about. Like, oh, don't say it out loud and kind of like broed out. And the fact that he says it out loud, I love you too. Oh, it gets me, man. <laughs> I don't know if it did you guys, but I just... Ugh. <laughs> you know, like, we're, this is a preview. The next time they're staring at each other with guns, Cole's going to sh- kill him. So it's for me, it's a lot on rewatch. But I get if Jen is just waiting for Ramsey to die. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. I'm just like, 
ready to move on from Ramsey. Yeah, I mean, I- like a son that you've known at, 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 for all of two seconds um, versus a guy that you've grown up with and survived with. It's just like that biological tie just does, isn't there for me. Hashtag yeah. child free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, we've all made choices. It's okay. <laughs> I don't have children and it changes the way I view a TV show. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I would choose I would choose my kids over my found family. I would. So I yeah. get it. I mean, you've had them for more than two days, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say you've had a little bit more nurture time. I, I mean, I think I probably would have said that though when I left the hospital with them. But yeah, I get it. I mean, it's just a, it's a continuation of how do you react to Ramsey? How's he written? What's your life experience? I get it. Um, what I find tragic about them is that they're always on opposite sides. This is sort of a crossing the Rubicon moment for them. And yet there's always love. And this scene takes the time to let those characters say that out loud to one another. And I think that's like, I don't think brothers would have landed the way it would, the way it does if you didn't still, despite all of this, believe that these two men love each other. Oh, so. yeah, that's... Yeah, that's no, I don't disagree with that. I mean, the, the emotional ties have been established, and they main, maintain those throughout the, the series. I don't have a problem with, with that. I think it's very strong, and I, I, I like the friendship between the two. I just, like, I just find Ramsey to be kind of a weak character after a while, because there's, there's really no evolution to him at some point, you know? Well, some of the conversations, I think, are repetitive. yeah. Because he's always I, coming at it say from that. the same standpoint. So even, like, I absolutely understand his motivation, but it's like sometimes, you know, the conversation can seem very, like, he's just kind of a brick wall because he's going to respond the same way no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So are you guys ready for the fucking magic that is naked drunk Deacon? <laughs> <laughs> This scene is fucking (laughs) magic. And it's not because like, okay, I know that I've now said naked deacon twice. I'm not, I don't mean to be creepy about it. It's just fucking hilarious. Like he is butt naked on his second bottle of whiskey. Cause this one's almost full, right? He ended the last episode and it was three fourths down and he is sharpening a knife next to his junk. (laughs) Singing. Singing the theme song from The Breakfast Club. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's getting a little creepy now. You keep saying stuff about him being naked. Well, because when Todd Stashuk was on, he said it was his idea. I guess originally written, it was supposed to be, he was cleaning his gun. And he's like, no, 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 no. If it's Deacon, it's got to be a knife. And it also has to make the audience really uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) But I got my, I remember my like my husband being like, "Whoa, what the fuck is he doing?" <laughs> put the knife, put the knife down, man. Like this is not a good idea. <laughs> so, but I mean, putting aside like that, like Cole walks in and it is like, "What the fuck is happening?" <laughs> um, but I mean, it's also the first time we hear, "Don't you forget about me." associated with this character and it's it seemed like such a fun um like 
oh, wow, Deacon loves, like, you know, Brat Pack movies. But, like, now all of the things that it makes you think of with his father and you see the scars on his body and the way the series ends and, like, how that theme song applies to Deacon, how he he's the, like, secret weapon in this episode, how he's a secret weapon at the end of the series. This is the first time we hear it. So... After I was laughing at all of the, like, comedic stuff going on, I also was, like, hitting the feels with him singing that song. It's just so awkward. It's so awkward. (laughs) I'm going out the way I came in. You want a sword fight? You couldn't take me? Oh, my God. (laughs) It's so – it's a lot. uh, It's the first time Deacon's had such freedom, like, to have levity about him. Okay. So I think the one thing that I did notice that's here is that – um, is this the first time that Deacon mentions his, his baby brother and Cole's kind of, um, acting or talking like him? Um, it's this, okay, so, yeah, let's go through that, let's go through the, like, if you guys didn't have any sort of, like, oh my god, it's hilarious the way they staged this whole thing, let's get into what he says, because there's a lot of stuff to unpack. Um, so... I, you know, I think it's not just, he mentions a lot, like, this deacon has fucking nothing to lose. Like, the West Seven has deserted, Cassie's rejected him, the world is fucking ending. Um, they bring the conversation back to Cassie, and I think Cassie is, uh, you know, obviously she kind of, like, crushed him in, in the last episode, but... Um, there's just some great lines and some great character moments. So when Cole's like, of all the things to break you is Cassie and Deacon's like, contrary to popular belief and my sociopathic tendencies, a heart beats within this chest. <laughs> it's like, knew that- it. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> I know. It's like such, it's the greatest character summary for Deacon ever, right? Like, um, but they have this very like Deacon just being like, you know, I knew my days were numbered when you came back. And I love it because Cole, I think this is the second to last time he's ever going to say this. It's not like, oh, it's never been like that. And it's like, Cole, it's fucking like that. All right. Like, I think it's like someone says that. That's true, though. <laughs> On TV? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like, like that. that. Okay. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, but, it, you know, they have some great callbacks. Like, let's let's have a drink and talk about killing Ramsey, just like the good old days, right? Like, going all the way back to Atari. Um, we had the West Seven flashbacks. But then you have sort of this moment where Cole does sort of like what I associate as like a character trait with Cole. He connects with him and he gives him this pep talk, like of all the things you've lived through, the plagues, um, the scavs, your father, you really want to go out like this. And you see that that's when Deacon really starts paying attention to what he's saying. And... I just was wondering if you guys had, like, we know so much more about Deacon and that sort of will to survive now that we have watched those scenes in the jail cell and Titan with his father. And I was just wondering if you guys had any sort of, like, I feel like those words have a lot more weight even now than they did the first time around. Well, one of the things that's interesting is, in a way, Ramsey has sealed his own fate here because when they originally had him – um tied up at the beginning of the season and Deacon was torturing him, he's the one that reveals the story about Ramsey's father. And that's how Cole knows. So he's using that to like pump Deacon up Mm -hmm. to beat Ramsey. Mm -hmm. That's That's I mean, Cole didn't know anything about Deacon's father before that point. Oh my God, that's true. Right. I mean, unless some conversation happened off camera. Right. Yeah. Um, But then you have, so 
Jen, what you were mentioning before. So we learned a couple episodes ago when he came back um, from when Ramsey and Cole tried to turn him over. And he, we learned about his brother then, right? And that his brother had been killed. But then he says, Jesus, you even talk like him, my baby brother. And it, it's like one line and it explains so much about what Deacon's like attachment to Cole, his kind of extraordinary sense of betrayal <laughs> that he has been harboring since season one, right? Because Cole deserted the West Seven and wouldn't kill Ramsey. Um, there's a lot there. Um, They've already and- said that he looks like him before, right? I think so. Yeah. Oh, they have? Yeah. Yeah. So now that's what you're saying. You even sound like him. Like you already look like him and holy crap, like you have this other aspect of your personality that's the same as him as well. Yeah. I mean, it also goes towards why Cole is able to get through to him in this moment, right? Like he's reminding him of someone who used to look up to him. Um, And I think that I think all of these kind of like tip the point, you know, this deacon was ready to go out, right? Like he was getting drunk because the world is ending and he's going to die. And it's this conversation with Cole that turns him around. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of nice that I don't think he's like, I don't think Cole is a surrogate brother to him, but he is like probably the only one at this point in time that can maybe bring him back from, from whatever brink he's on. Um, Just because of that nostalgic connection that, that he, that Deacon might have that, you know, there is something valuable here to him in his relationship with Cole. Um, and, And it can never obviously replace his younger brother, but it is establishing that again, there is a little heart that beats under that tough psychopathic exterior. That's what makes Deacon such an interesting character that he isn't like just a psychopath or, you know, as single-minded as some other characters are. Nah, my boy's usually got layers. I mean, not right now because he's naked, but (laughs) (laughs) normally layers. He's a good character because he's even got layers when he's naked. I don't know. We'll workshop that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it it is someone, right? There's there's the power in that moment where someone who reminds you of your little brother is asking you for help and is giving you that pep talk, like you're a survivor. This is what you do. I need your help so we can survive. Like that is Deacon, right? He is the ultimate survivor. Um, and so like Cole like kind of gets to the essence of who he is, what he takes pride in, all while reminding him of the little brother that he lost. Mm-hmm. It's such a short scene. It explains so much <laughs> about Deacon, about Cole and Deacon, right? Like this is kind of like, They've been at odds and have been jealous of each other and fighting, right? Like, they teamed up a little bit at the beginning of Lullaby, but this is, like, their first, like, really, like, working together. And it's just, like, there's so much. This scene is so funny. It's really emotional. There's just a lot of layers to it. Um, And, like... It's a scene that can make you, like, laugh out loud with just, like, the delivery of some of the lines. And just the, like, comedic, like, had they even filmed that with a straight face, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> so, and then that all leads up to the fucking Deacon throwing the bottle away. The music swells. All right, Cole, let's go save that. 
and then he throws up. <laughs> it's just so, like, this episode is so intense, and there's so much going on, and yet they have this, like, you know, like, it's just like the music stops like a record scratch with him vomiting. <laughs> it's just so great. All right, so then we find out the two Whitley moment. They open the door, and it's Whitley who's the one who's been facilitating everything behind the scenes that we've seen. And he says to Jones, I know you tried to fix all this, but we can't chase our tails forever. <laughs> Just like, oh, fuck. It's going to be so many more seasons of them doing that. <laughs> Stuck in a loop. <laughs> so again, you have Cassie, like, where's Cole? Ramsey, you really think I'd kill him in cold blood? And Cassie's like, I don't know anymore. Um... And man, he's going to be trying to kill her in cold blood in like a few episodes. So it's like really interesting. Cassie's noting what's going on with Ramsey, right? Um, you have Jones and Ramsey fighting about like if Cole doesn't go back to 57, Ramsey calls bullshit. And then Adler, Jen, this goes back to what you were saying. We haven't been able to stop a goddamn thing. This last splinter is for us and we are going to tighten. Yeah, I think that's I, – I just think that's really important to note – that that it just feels like there's more I'm getting more motivation from some of these characters that I've never seen before like why are they on this mission with Jones in the first place and now I'm kind of we're finally seeing some of of these background characters step forward and through their uh disagreement or conflict letting us know where their headspace is at at this point in time. And I think it's really important to kind of check in with some of these people to understand their motivation. Otherwise it's just, Oh, it's a coup for the sake of conflict. But I, I really like, I really like Adler just kind of stepping up and, and, and cause he's, uh, he's always like, he's, he's like the right hand man. Mm-hmm. I feel like to Jones and he's finally just like, you know what? Shit's not working. We got to try something different. So sorry, Jones, but we got to we got to go to Titan. Yeah. Well, this conflict has been brewing for him since she got Hannah back, though, because mm-hmm. he's yeah, like, you know, yeah. we both lost that. Like, what about my son? You haven't gotten my son back, and so he's kind of lost his faith in following her. Yeah, I also like it anytime Adler swears. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Anytime he says "goddamn" or it's you, your own personal peccadillo, fine. You sit your. What does he say to Cole in season I'll four? I'll put you on your ass, boy. Yes. <laughs> Anytime he, in his like perfect diction, is saying "goddamn," we couldn't stop a goddamn thing. I'm just like, I don't agree with you, and yet I'm fist pumping the delivery anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You've got Cole now turning a gun on Adler, which just, I feel like the scientists in lab coats should be off limits. But like, so that is what finally forces Cassie to go like spring into action. But unfortunately, when she lunges for Cole, the gun goes off, Adler gets shot. And then you have the fucking casserole coming to blows, fighting each other. Which is fight, fight, fight. They're gonna come to blows next episode. Too. Oh my god! Oh, no, you did it. I did. It's all foreplay. It so it's, it's all foreplay. Um, That's it's pretty interesting foreplay. <laughs> It is on post-apocalyptic shows, right? Um, well, that's true. <laughs> so Punching somebody in the face is another way of expressing love. Well, yeah, or holding a gun on them. Yeah, true. That's true. 
Yeah. It is for Some play. people send flowers. Some people hold guns to your head. It's, you know. Uh, post-apocalyptic shows. Or or knives to people's throats. Mm, very mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and people are like, catalog- wait, which one is that? Shout um, out to my peeps. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so you've got, what I think is interesting about this is like, Cassie's like, no one here wants to hurt you. And Cole is like, yeah, but you will if you have to, right? <laughs> as long as you get your revenge. Like, he's just fed up with this shit. But when they fight, like, they pr- they go, it's like, it's a pretty legit fight, but they're also clearly trying not to hurt one another. You know what I mean? Like, Cassie. Yeah, she does knock him on his ass. She knocks him on his like ass. It. But Cassie can hurt someone if she wants to. And frankly, so can Cole. So, yeah. Yeah. Um,. But then in it, this corner, it's like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what happened if you really put them head to head. Right. Well, yeah, I don't, yeah. Um, but you have Cole say, kill me, kill the witness. You'll still be afraid of yourself because you're the one that let him in. So. This is such a burn. <laughs> yeah, man. Dick. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's truth. I don't think it's, it's a burn. I don't think it's, he's a dick. Yeah, it is, it is a truth, but it hurts well, the that's most why because it's he just burn. wields yeah. it against her. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, but all of these things he's saying is what she's stewing over in the end is part of what she gets out of the car, right? And at the end. So it's oh, like all 100%. these. Yeah, yeah. I love the shot when the doors close on her. Like, it's so dramatic. I love it. Um, and then you've got another emotional check-in with Ramsey, right? Like, are you doing okay? I don't like this any more than you do. It, it's all these little details, right? Like, we've just had characters holding guns on one another, physically fighting, and they're still letting us know that they care about one another. Um, Jen, did you have anything here, or did you already make that point? Um, I think I've already made the point about, um, you know, Jones's conviction. Um, and I... I just, I guess I do want to mention though that, you know, I think Jones is my favorite character. I think I've established that pretty well, but I'm not on her side and it feels weird. In this episode, you're not? Yeah. I'm, I'm on team Cassie and Ramsey in, in this episode and it hurts. <laughs> For so many reasons. <laughs> oh, I did enjoy watching Cassie kick Cole's ass. I'm always I'm always loving a good woman ass whooping up on anybody. <laughs> um that takes us to the machine. I what I love the little through line throughout this entire episode up until when he dies for the second time. Lasky is so fucking annoyed. <laughs> the whole time. He's annoyed when he's having to do the calculations when Adler's locked up at the beginning. He's pissed now, right? Like, he's just... He, he and Adler have this whole little back and forth that's going on behind the scenes. Like, later on, he's like, that's right, Adler. Like, get up out of your chair. I'm sitting down, right? Like, it's there's all this background. So you have Jones and Whitley... And getting back to this, like what, what we mentioned before, it was your mission always, now it's ours. Then you've got Ramsey basically fed up with Jones. He pulls a fucking gun on her, sticks in her abdomen, and Jones- Yeah, he can fuck himself. <laughs> Jones headbutts him, and his nose is bleeding, and it's amazing. <laughs> like yeah, he brought the- That's oh, what you get, boy. <laughs> so yeah it's um and then again like whitley draws this line with ramsey anything happens to jones you'll find out how fast i change my mind um and the only other thing that i thought was really funny is adler's fucking shot and having to do these calculations 
everyone's like, you need to hurry up. We have our window closing. <laughs> and it totally reminds me. Did you guys watch 24? No. Oh, yeah. you did. You, you know how – so, like, we have a joke anytime someone's not doing something like – somebody's being un- unreasonable in their expectations. It's basically like Jack Bauer telling Chloe, like, Chloe, I don't need to tell you how important it is that you do <laughs> da 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 And she's sitting there and probably is, like, shit blowing up and someone's got a gun in her head, but she's, like, on her laptop. And this is, like, Adler's, like, Chloe of 24 <laughs> moment. Like, I'm fucking shot and doing these calculations <laughs> and, and I'm doing the best I can, all right? Like <laughs> – well, in all fairness, he's pretty much always shot, too. <laughs> Adler? No, Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer. Oh, right, 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 right. But in this situation, Adler's the Chloe. Like, I'm, yeah. guys, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Cole goes to see old Jennifer. Are you going to cry? It's a Are you going to cry? I'm- Is this where you cry? Me? No, I'm going to cry at the other one. Oh, okay, okay, okay. First, I'm going to laugh. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. We haven't even gotten to the little Jennifer stuff. So, I mean, with chicken and egg Jennifer. Um, I'm not going to cry yet because I laugh so hard at the whole diehard Mayday, Mayday. The terrorists have taken over Nakatomi <laughs> building. <laughs> it means, McLean, I know why you're here. And Cole never gets the fucking joke. <laughs> I think, I wonder if he even realizes she's referencing stuff. Like, probably not. Like, he probably just thinks she's batshit. Well, yeah, yeah, probably. It's always her inside jokes with herself. And us. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. No, Cole, I mean, when the when the head daughter was like, she's saying crazy stuff, and Cole's like, isn't that normal? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Once you've seen the end of this episode and know that what we see with 2006, like, that it's, a, like, you know what the echo of this conversation is going to be at the end, right? This is another Cole, young Jennifer, old Jennifer loop where they're saying things to one another and then it gets echoed and then you realize the context and the and the meaning just gets like there's even more depth to it. So Cole saying, "Will you help?" and Jennifer saying, "Have I ever said no? Self-preservation was never my thing." So not only do we have that that is going to be called back to at the end of this episode when he goes to ask 2016 Jennifer for help, this old Jennifer knows that she's going to die. <laughs> Like, so when he's asking her for help, he knows, she knows exactly what that means. And that, have I ever said no, and Cole asking you help, like, that is, it just gave me some major Jennifer feels because she is his, like, most steadfast friend, right? Like, Mm -hmm. she is always there for him. She's always helping. It's even going to come to a head at the beginning of season three where she's going to call him out for, like, not appreciating it. Right? Like, so there's so much going on, not only with, like, what she knows and how this is going to be called back to when he goes to see her, but just for their journey together in general, like, how she is always there for him. I just got, like, major feels. But it leads into the, like, I've seen it, the adventures we've shared, and the ones we haven't yet. And you just, like, I don't know about you guys, but I was just thinking about all, like, we know now all of the things that must, the memories that must be, like, flooding through her head. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's this really interesting moment where she says, you're changing, like becoming a leader, and it takes one to know one. And they really do have sort of like this <clears throat> circle of leadership journeys where they're each other's coach. Yeah. Um, and, and each other's coach and them coach themselves. 
Right. Through each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a little complicated. It's a little complicated. But then you move into the – and think about, like, just having watched – like, this is a cold that just – pretty recently came from Hyena. It's recent in his mind, but obviously old Jennifer calls back to those scenes. A leader needs to make sacrifices. It's the price of taking people on. And she is now, that was the advice Cole gave her at the end of Hyena. And now she is telling him that because this is the day he's going to have to let her die. It's a lot. Like, ah. Uh. So are you willing to let someone die for the good of the mission, for the good of the world? I am. Then do when you do, never look back. And guys, that's like so many different people's journey on this show is like being willing to let or not being willing to let someone die that you love, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is all the way back to our one versus seven billion that we used to talk about all the time. Yeah. I mean, it also is like a preview for Cole, right? Like- He's going to have to lose a lot in the season finale to save everybody, right? Including he thinks his child um, and then his whole – like, so yeah, it just goes around and around in a lot of different ways. I guess there's this weird patience to old Jennifer that there's, like, chaos coming on all sides of her. And she's pausing to have this conversation about leadership with Cole in this moment – which I find is just so crazy and completely Jennifer, but also kind of meta for this show that the show never is like, well, we've got to rush through everything in order to get from point A to point B, that it does take the time to have these conversations or to have characters checking in with one another. And I'm just like, who does that? Like what show and what characters actually do that in the midst of chaos other than 12 monkeys and some other shows few and far between that I can think about. I just think it's, it's just crazy. Even I love those it. that do it, most of them do it after. Right. Yeah. There's always like, you know, the last, like you've, you've got, you know, 42 minutes of action, action, action. And then like the last minute is, is the mop up emotionally mm-hmm. before the end of the episode type stuff happens. Um, and this show is just like, hold on. I know that there's like this time storm coming that's going to destroy everything. But in order to move past this time storm, she has to have this conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Like there's no way for them to advance and to be successful unless she takes this time to go, look, you're going to have to become a leader yourself. You're going to have to step up and make sacrifices and really never look back. And I think that's that's an important thing that the show is very patient in the way it treats some of its characters. Like, Jennifer is this old, wise person at this point in time and knows that you just can't rush the good stuff. You got to have some time to kind of to kind of settle into it and like squish around in it. And that's what the show gives us a lot of time to to squish around in the emotions. And I love it. She also is. I mean, they're also able to do that because I think one of the reasons why it doesn't ring like, you know, like I feel like on other shows that could maybe be cheesy, but old old Jennifer can do that because she already knows so much of what's happened, right? So she – she's – She's not living through this day the way everyone else is, being like, oh, my God, what the fuck's going to happen? She knows what's going to happen. She has a plan. She is cognizant of the overall 
cycle and what her role is and what she needs to do. And so, you know, in some ways she's playing a role, right? Like she's not reacting to things the way Cole and everybody else is because she already knows what's going to happen. And that's what frees her up to, I think, not only have sort of the patience to impart that wisdom because she has like the big picture in mind, right? But like Mm – yeah, so like it's like it works and it's what gives these scenes and these conflicts so much depth, but it also totally makes sense that this character's the one doing that. Well, yeah, and I think I mentioned in a previous episode that Jennifer gives the writers a lot of leeway in what they're able to do and say at any given point in time because Jennifer doesn't have to act or react like any of the other characters because she's kind of outside of our um a box of expectations of what she can and cannot do. They can do anything with her that they want. And I love that freedom that they, that this character kind of gives the writers to take these moments or kind of use Jennifer as their cipher to get a point across without hitting you over the head. And like you said, because like make it really cheesy. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, she's kind of, She's watched a lot of this already and she's lived through some of it already, right? So, like, in some ways, she's like, she's seen a different version of the show than we have. <laughs> she's you know? like, she's like that meme. She's like, I seen it in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, I, I do miss, like, I, I'm glad when she comes back, but this is kind of like one of our last of these, like, old Jennifer Young, Jennifer Cole loops. Um, and it really made me invested in their friendship in a new way these this like circle of them um and it's kind of coming to an end (laughs) in this episode um if you guys don't have anything else about that scene we'll go to like uh team jones strikes back (laughs) so um i love how ramsey knows that cole is not done yet and he knows like and i think what they're also worried about is they don't say it, but I think they're also – it's not Cole's crazy that we're worried about. I assume they mean Deacon, right? Mm-hmm. Is that how you guys took it? Uh, maybe. I, I I don't know. I, I don't know if maybe they thought that, that Jennifer would be on, on their side. Yeah, that's true. Um, good point. Um, I love the – I love that Deacon doesn't kill Whitley. I think it's real. Like, they started this season with Whitley being under arrest and Deacon handing him a gun and being like, all right, we're on the same side. Like, let's go. Um, And he, like, there's just a lot of comedy with basically, like, make a wish. But then what he ends up doing is, like, shooting the flare gun. Like, it's just (laughs) Deacon kind of fucking with him. Um (laughs) Are you going to help me or what? So, um... We have seen the daughters lurking a lot. This is the first time, I think, right, that we really see how badass they are. I mean, for a full-on tactical assault, sure. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. They're, like, going up the side of the building, right? Like, it's not even on Ramsey's, like, he's not even conceiving of the fact that they could be scaling the facility and coming in through the roof, right? Like, he thinks they're coming in another way. Um... And then we get to old Jennifer meeting De- – or Deacon meeting old Jennifer on the rooftop. And this is their first scene together. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Beep just has, like, feels about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes and no. Because as much as I know that, 
you know, on rewatch, this what like I kind of view it more from Deacon's side right now. Like, what's what's up with this old lady? So then there's just the feel of like, oh, honey, you don't even know. <laughs> I know, but when she touches his face, when he's like, see something you like, Granny. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, it's just funny. That's just them. You know what I mean? Like, right. And she says, not yet. That's what hits me because now we know what that means. Right? Like, we know, I mean, not only, like, the, she's looking for the scar (laughs) that happens after, right? But she knows that there's a, how much more there is to to him. Mm -hmm. Um, And she also knows that he is going to kill her in a few minutes. And she fucking goes in there and does it. Like, I think it's really interesting that at the end of this episode, when she talks to young Jennifer, she talks about not being brave. Because I think what old Jennifer does in this episode is incredibly brave and takes a lot of faith, you know, like faith in a faith in herself. And it's like a circle, right? She has a faith in a younger version of herself that's going to make this all worth it, right? Yeah. But walking into a scenario, knowing that you're going to die and the way that she handles it, I think is incredibly brave. And I just think it's like really interesting because she describes herself as like, you know, not being brave. Maybe if I had been braver and she's pretty fucking brave in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just noted that like when Hannah, they make a lot of, even though we saw Hannah and Jones just beginning to connect and there's a lot of things you need to work out. Hannah is extremely worried about Jones and she's asking Cole where she is. And she go. she, this is one of those moments where she calls, she doesn't call him Cole. She's the only character that consistently calls him James mm-hmm. and calls him James on the rooftop. Um, I think it's so fucking cool when she repels onto the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in her like whole ninja get up. Oh my God. <laughs> it's kind of corny, but I love it. No, it's, it's like cool. A- what are you talking about it's corny it's it's like a it's like a superhero landing i'm like i I love it i will i will never not love a superhero uh, landing you know the show's so gritty that i kind of love that they gave us right it's like the music (laughs) and she repels down she's repelling down like that machine like right like that was her mother's obsession to bring her back and this is like hannah repelling down to like lead the charge to claim this back for her mom and her mom is like totally looking up at her like you're my hero I love it. (laughs) She's like, Hannah. Like, she's so excited, right? Like, her daughter came to her rescue. Like, what that must mean for Jones, right? Like, oh, and things are finally aligned because right now she's on a mission for both of her mothers. Oh, my God. That's so right. And she's about to lose both of them in this fucking episode. You're going to make, you're going to make Cece cry now. Oh, man. That's right. the dream. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when old Jennifer goes up to the machine and says, hello, friend, it's been a while since I've seen you. What goes through your head in terms of like which Jennifer left? Like when's the last time she was at that machine? You're asking me the wrong person. Or I know, or remember. beep, or beep. I don't know if she knows if Cole is the demon or not. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. What I mean is when's the last time, like, you think about all the different interactions that Jennifer, like, I thought of season three Jennifer holding her hand up to the machine when she's telling Cole, like, can you feel time, right? And, like, Cassie's in there. Remember when she comes back to the facility when they Mm -hmm. rescue her from France? So there's always been kind of this, like, mystical's not the right word, but, like, that machine 
speaks to Jennifer in a way that it doesn't to any of the other characters. Sure. You know? But also, I was trying to go through, for that old Jennifer, when's the last time she saw it? It's some- Right, but that's what I was talking about, because theoretically, old Jennifer knows absolutely everything. However, we know that there's a, you know, a final time shift that has them going to Titan, and that happens before right. they all go back to finish their their loops. So I don't know if she knows that the demon. No, I don't know. I don't think she does, right? right. So I mean, yeah. it's, but it's basically, I mean, most of the show. Every time we see her splinter and go whatever, she's already done that. Yeah, that's what I was trying. Like she remembers so many different things that have happened at that machine, right? Are- Which is why she already just told Cole, you know, that I remember our adventures are like the ones we haven't had yet. Like on it- your side, I already know what's going to happen, right? Yeah, but also there, it's a different version of them. She doesn't know everything that's going to happen, right? Because this young Jennifer can make different choices, right? Like that's going what to we Titan. Put a pin in. Yeah. Oh, well, right. <laughs> All right. We'll get to that. All right. So um, then you've got, <laughs> we hear, don't you forget about me again. And Cassie's face is like when you run into your ex at a party and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> and he's like, Sorry, Cassie, and I get it. It's not personal. Oh no, it's personal. Like, I can care less about Cole getting back to whatever year. Like, he doesn't even fucking know. Like, with the whole thing that's at stake, he's like, but a chance to screw you over and Ramsey too much to pass up. It's so human. And like, obviously, this scene's really tense. It's really funny, but it's just. <clears throat> I love Deacon and we've discovered that he has this heart, but it's still really like just human to basically like stick it to the person who just broke your heart. <laughs> right? Like, oh, yeah, I mean, everyone's been a little bit petty here or there. So it's, yes, it's his turn. absolutely. Um, and then you have the whole fight with Ramsey where they call each other by their first names and Deacon goes to shoot Ramsey and he hits old Jennifer instead. Oopsie. <laughs> and then you have the stakes if mother dies everybody dies so we have cole and cassie with the old jennifer and this must be crazy for cassie because this is the old woman version of the person that she was on that road trip with like in bodies of water right who's now like dying of a gunshot wound and we'll see later cassie has like tears in her eyes like um but, you know, you have her say it doesn't hurt as much as I thought I would. And Cole, she confirms that this was the sacrifice that she was talking about. And then she goes back to her, her I think it's her first lines. Yes. In 102, Tiki Talk, those eyes like a grandfather clock. Granddaddy. Mm-hmm. Granddaddy clock. Um, and it goes to like we were saying before, like the only two characters she ever comments about the eyes are Cole and Olivia, the two gins. Um, And I also was thinking like there are – grandfather clocks sprinkled all throughout the show like there's one in the house of cedar and pine that we'll see in the next episode there's always one in um the monkey mansion so it's just kind of like a fun prop that they have sprinkled throughout so b when cole says this didn't have to happen and she and she not yet it's not time yet (laughs) oh all right fine she's he says this didn't have to happen and she says it already did and then she says, my daughters need a mother. Find a me who needs daughters. And it's just so perfectly set up from Hyena. 
And I love these moments where Cole and Jennifer in, are in sync and nobody else knows like what the wheels are turning and Cole's able to figure it out like from what Jennifer says. So Jen, you watched season two live, right? I think most of it, yeah. So were you had do you remember wondering like what the fuck happened at the end of Hyena and then having to wait two episodes like basically three weeks to find out? Uh, of course I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Honestly, so much had happened. I binged it and so much had happened. I forgot that was even a thing that he showed right back up because it was like already so much had happened in the next, you know, the next couple episodes. I was like, oh, yeah, it's did that. It's so not. I mean, not only is this whole idea of like resurrecting and going back and plucking an earlier version of yourself, right? Like it's so clever, like to like how they find their way out of this problem. But the fact that it was all set up with this cliffhanger of Mm -hmm. thematically the leadership journey, right? Like you've got Jennifer who is sitting there drinking at the Emerson Hotel in the depths of her biggest leadership failure yet. And that's the one that Cole's going to come knock on the door and ask for help to come get dropped in the middle to lead this group. It's insane for Jennifer, right? Like, just kind of putting yourself back into the place of where she's at at the end of Hyena. It's interesting how they frame that within the mythology of the show, too, because they're saying, like, they can't, you know, like, they don't have time to do other splinters. But since they're sending him right back where he came from, that's already in the calculations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's like they're maintaining the rules of the stakes that they set up. Yeah. Um But it's just like this whole it's the right ending is the one you choose is like we're watching old Jennifer choosing a different ending for herself by giving Cole this idea to go back, right? And she has always told – what she says later is I've always told the daughters to expect a resurrection. So like this has been her plan for a while. Um, Wait, so if it's her plan, why are you saying it's different? Wait, is this your point? Just explain it, (laughs) B. Just go for it. Well, I th- I'm just saying I think that that was contradictory. I got confused. Like, if she's been planning to do this in order this- to bring herself back. Like, I think she knew because she already did it. That's I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But then you just said well, right there watching old Jennifer choosing a different ending for herself unfold. This time around. Like, a different ending this time around. Like, versus she's now going to be a different, like, I made a choice to go to Titan. Now this one's going to make a different choice, right? And like take the fight to Titan. That's what I mean. <sighs> Okay, here we go. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, explain it. No, I know. Okay. This is my thought. When Cole meets future asshole, so when our Cole meets future asshole, he hears a message from him, right? Whatever he says to him, you're going to, you know, things inside you are going to break. You're going to lose so much. The watch, whatever. It's, you know, it's how you know you're going to find your way back to her. And then we get all the way to the end and we know what he knows and like how it's such a disaster. But basically from our Cole standpoint, he just has to like repeat what he heard. Right. So there's kind of this circle of like who said it first. Does that make sense? Or not even who said it first, but it's kind of like, you know, Cole and Jennifer do to each other. Like I repeated this back to you because you said it to me. Go on. Are you with me at all? (laughs) (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Okay. My point is this. I don't think that old Jennifer is telling the truth. I think she's repeating back what she remembers. And here's why. Because when Jennifer makes the choice to take them to Titan, which is like has to cause so many ripples and changes 
there is not a nosebleed and there is not a time shift. But it but can't there not be a time shift because it doesn't have any effect? Because it doesn't work? I just don't buy that this doesn't have a big enough effect on like everybody's journey. But not but it doesn't um Everybody's Every we, about to get killed. You don't think that's a time shift from what would have happened if they didn't go? No, but when we have a nosebleed, it's because things th- that they they made a big enough ripple that it changed things, right? So yeah. like when they push back the plague or Deacon getting the idea to go to the like bring the West Seven to Titan, right? Um or Jennifer getting the idea to give him the knife, right? Those are all the times that we had nosebleeds. Mm-hmm. Am I so this this going to Titan doesn't work. It doesn't change anything. In fact, the witness knows, like season four, Olivia knows it's coming. And I guess that's why I assumed it didn't cause a nosebleed. But how would it not change things? Because even if it doesn't create an impact on like what Olivia knew or whatever, everyone that's going to go to Titan right now is going to die. So did they die when they didn't go? Yeah, right. And they sure as hell, if they died with the daughter's help, I assume they sure as hell died without the daughter's help or maybe never even got there. But I'm talking about Jennifer and all the daughters. Hmm. The, all the daughters die now that they go there. No, no, they don't. They don't go inside Titan. Oh, they don't? Okay. I mean, some die along the way, but only four of them go inside Titan. It's only Deacon, Ramsey, Hannah, and Whitley that go inside. The rest of the daughters don't go. But I yeah, just, I don't know. I somehow see this as like the same as Agent Gale's loop. Interesting. John, what do you think? Don't even ask. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all... I don't, I, I mean, Beep, this is so interesting. I think Jennifer needs this conversation about bravery. And so she's making it up that she made a different choice? Yeah. So she knows what's going to happen, that she was going to die that day just from, she always knew from the word of the witness that it was that day. But she knows, how would she know about the scar on Deacon's face? Because they're still going to have that interaction, just like they do going forward. Because nothing's changed. Interesting. I think, I'll, what I'm saying is, I think it's a loop. No, I get. I totally get what you're saying. I just never thought it's, uh, it's so smart. I never thought about it that way. And it kind of it just seems back like into a- what you were just saying about you know how brave Jennifer really is. It's just young her doesn't believe that right now. It feels like a little bit of a convoluted way to make her brave to, in order to make her make the right choice. Are you saying my theory is convoluted, or you think that's what's happening? I think that I think that it's it's an unnecessary convolution of things. Like, why make up the story in order to to uh, encourage her to be brave when old Jennifer could have done it a different way? It just it just introduces what other something way into the story. It, I don't know. It's it's old Jennifer. She can pick any way she <laughs> wants. She knows how to motivate young Jennifer. So why lie and make up the story? Um, I I think because that it probably heard it that is way true. The first time, which is the weird thing. Over that's true. So she's saying what she heard as young Jennifer. Oh my god! Right, 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 right. And that way, it's like the future, future asshole. Right. Ah, we're always here breaking our brains over what Jennifer, what Jennifer knows. <laughs> we're back here like we were during Lullaby. I could, I could be wrong. Obviously. No, I, I think it's, a, it's interesting I just way don't to think, think about it's, it. I don't think it's out of character, out of mythology, out of show. For her to kind of use this as like a riddle and a like make your own decision type thing. And like, you could be a better me than I was. But like, I think she's completely and totally fine 
with where she is. But then up. she's manipulating things. She's not she's not letting young Jennifer make the same way the same the choice. The same way future asshole tells Cole tells the He's totally lying to Cole. He's like as long as you thing, ha- yeah. as long as you have this watch, you'll always find your way back to her and like he does like maybe in the end he does, but that that future asshole sure doesn't think that. He thinks he's about to get deleted. And and Cassie's like, why'd you tell him that? Because it, uh, because he already heard it that way. It's interesting. I don't. I mean, but my other. But then, okay. But then here's another question, Beep. So does that mean that? Okay, for a second, put that to the side and and let let's just like play around a little bit with the idea that I had always had that Jennifer had already lived through this day, mm-hmm. but she dies on this day. So does that mean she chose to flee the camp and not go to rare like? Right? Like, when did she choose not to go to Titan? How does that make sense? I mean, I don't know. Maybe she chooses to avoid her death altogether and flees Raritan and goes in the opposite direction of Titan. Which would be a crazy thing for a primary to do, right? Like, all primaries have this, like, crazy self-sacrificing respect for the day they die. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Maybe she knows that she can always relive it. I don't think there's a version of that that makes sense. If if you think about it. Man, I mean, I think we've kind of fleshed it all out. It's something I think only the writers can answer. But that's super interesting. So we have Jennifer going back to 2044. And I fucking love what a little kid Jennifer is. Taking her first <laughs> ride through the time machine. She reminds me of like my daughter being like, again, again. Like that's such a little kid thing to say, right? When something's fun. And she's basically saying it's like an amusement park ride. <laughs> Like, um, when everyone else complains about how they feel like they're getting torn apart. Right. She's like, this is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But who knows what it's like for a primary? I mean, I've wondered that, like, what's it like for a primary to go through the machine? Like, does it feel different? Like, right? Like, good question. You know? Um, so if you. Probably as delightful as it looks for Jennifer. So exciting. (laughs) Right. So really quickly, like the two different – think about the two different perspectives. You've got young Jennifer, um, egg Jennifer, landing in that room, coming from the utter failure of hyenas, and people are bowing down to her and calling her mother. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) But you have for the daughters, they have always been told that there would be a resurrection. And so for them, this is like – this crazy prophecy coming true moment, but not in a way that they ever could have imagined, right? And so, like, you know, it reminds me of that line that Hannah said a few episodes ago, mother is not without her sense of humor, right? Like, it's like this big, like, gotcha. Like, I, it came true, just not how you ever thought. Um, Jen, did you have something about the daughters in that moment? Well, it's just... Just imagine going from old Jennifer to now you have a new quote unquote version of Jennifer with young Jennifer and just be like, holy shit, this is not what we expected. <laughs> it's like, yeah, get used to it, daughters. This is this is just what Jennifer's like. You'll learn to love her. Right. I mean, it is remarkable. Like, you know, we're going to get to this incredible scene where Emily Hampshire is acting with herself. But even the two performances in the same episode, the energy is so different. 
Oh, yeah. You know, like the way she the way old Jennifer is with the daughters versus young Jennifer. It's just there's so many choices she makes. And I don't know if it's all ad libbing or not or just her mannerisms. Like, all right. So young Jennifer comes in, sees herself and we get hello, egg. I'm chicken. Right. And beep, do you want to this scene? Do you want me to walk through it or do you want to walk through it? <laughs> OK, can I please just say. May I have a moment to myself, please? It's like the hottest of messes. <laughs> it's such a fucking amazing line. <laughs> it's such a great line. Oh my gosh, it's so bad. Um, in like the very best way. It's so, so great. We know that old Jennifer knows this conversation, right? And what's about to happen here. So mm-hmm. that that's hard. So we're we're looking at it from young Jennifer's perspective because we don't understand what she's about to say. Mm-hmm. But, and you have noted here, look how pretty I was. Like, mm. that stabs. Mm-hmm. Because each and every day, in some way, in some flaw, we all, like, don't appreciate that about ourselves. Absolutely. We're constantly, you know, pointing out every little thing that's wrong or just everything you're unhappy with. And because Jennifer has come to that point, kind of like of Zen, we were saying earlier, you know, she has... The time to just slow down and look back on her life and reflect and just say, like, wow, you know, look who I was. Like, she's she's no longer, like, young Jennifer is so ashamed of her choices and her, you know, losses and everything up till now. And even if this this older Jennifer is telling her, you know, that she can change things about Titan, she's still lost the hyena. She still has these huge losses in her background and all these decisions that she's made. And she's just like, you know, it's okay. And just like she says next, you know, you also have noted the day that this is the day that my cycle ends, but yours is just rounding the big turn. Like she knows that you're getting ready to go through all of these things and they're so difficult and they're so heartrending, but they're also like, you're going to grow so much and it's going to be amazing. And you're also going to affect all of these lives. You know, when she puts her in charge of the daughters, like she's, she's bolstering her up for this leadership that she already knows she's been successful at. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, there's so ah! many, I know there's so many. So, I mean, there's so many levels to it, right? Like it is so, when do you ever see I'm trying to think of another television show or film where you have the older version of a character talking to the younger version about the journey that they're about to go on. And I can't, this is a really unique scene. I can't think of it. I think so too. Yeah, I think it's very unique because even if that's occurred, it's usually about just like, hey, I just had to let you know this one thing's happening. Hurry, I got to go by. Like, you know what I mean? It's in service of plot. Like, I have to let my younger me know that this is going to happen. Right. It's not so much about this, like, I'm going to bond with myself in a way. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so, yeah. And I want to get, because I think that this, the psychology to this scene gets at some really, like, universal, <laughs> like, things I think all of us would think about like, what would we say to the younger version of ourselves? But I think it's like a really rare opportunity that they're also in this kind of very meta way, letting the audience know, right? Like when old Jennifer tells young Jennifer, you're just rounding the big turn, right? Like old Jennifer is also telling the audience that, right? And so now I'm sitting here wondering like, oh my God, what does that mean? Right? Like, and that's a really... Uh, I can't think of other ways that like 
TV or film can, like, execute that. Do you know what I mean? So, like, they take something that is this crazy thing that could only happen in time travel where an old version talks to a younger version, right? And it definitely has plot implications, right? Sure. It's going to it's gonna change everything that happens to allow both teams to go on these two missions. It also has really important, like, staking a flag for her character journey to the audience. But then you have the whole personal part of it, which is what makes it such a beautiful and, like, the more I watch it, the more I find it, like, deeply moving. And maybe it's also just, like, the older I get. (laughs) And watching it, I find it deeply moving. But, like, I can't believe that a man wrote that line, look how pretty I was. I I feel like that is something I talk to girlfriends all the time. And you're like, look how, like, you're like, look how, like, skinny I was in college and why wasn't I wearing like a two-piece bathing suit right like I should have gone for it right and you're like talking about you're like looking at those pictures of yourself and you're like thinking back to how hard at least I'll think back how hard I hard on myself I was right and there's just something really like I'm sure men do that too but I feel just like with women like there's so much caught up in what society makes of how we look and how we Mm -hmm. feel about ourselves that there's there's just some real, like, hard-earned, like, wisdom in that one line <laughs> um, that, it, like, I don't know, a lot of women I talk to who have watched that scene are just like, oh, that just hits you in the gut. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have kind of the more substantive, you know, maybe if I was braver, I could help save the world and trying to inspire her and talking about – being like a better version of yourself and like what would your older what would you tell your younger self about your life journey and it's just incredibly like Emily Hampshire's voice as like young Jennifer gets so small she's like but we're not brave right like you just feel that like terror of being like but you know me you are me and you know that we're not brave right Mm, like yeah um god what would your what would you tell the younger version of yourself right now Ugh, give so many less fucks. I I would too. Jeez. Like, caring what other people think is the biggest waste of time, as is perfectionism and imposter syndrome. Like, all those things. I'd just be like, dude, just do you. And stop doubting yourself constantly and just, like, make a move. How about you, Jen? I would tell myself, um... In 2014, don't eat that banh mi sandwich. Mm. Yeah. So important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he got really, I got really, really sick and it put me off banh mi now, so I can't eat $2.50 sandwiches here in Houston. Um, they're so delicious. I can see uh, how that's like, the one thing you'd want to change about your life. No, it's, <laughs> I, I, be, mine, mine would be kind of similar to yours in, in giving less fucks about a lot of things, especially about the opinions of others. I'd also say, I guess I would say um, much along the lines of what old Jennifer says to herself is be brave Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of us, uh, our younger selves and even our older selves, because I know I I feel this now is we we feel like imposters in our own lives Mm -hmm. and the, the self doubt that often creeps in are, am I smart enough? Am I good enough at my job? Do people believe I'm competent? There's just a lot of things I think we we get into our own heads about that other people, very mediocre people, kind of just wander through life not having to worry about. And somehow 
manage to to consistently fail upwards, whereas we are are like, can I get this promotion? And, you know, am I doing a good job? Do do people think that I'm faking it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that is important too. And I, I just I guess you know start projects that you want to do instead of putting them off yep. for mm-hmm. decades and decades because then they never they never end if you don't start them. Right, and I think this is one of those scenes where they start to really play with this. If you had more time, if you had a redo, right? And they're playing with time travel, obviously, but what they're really getting at are just some really core things about the human experience. And they're saying a lot more than just kind of like the time travel plot. Sure. Yeah. And that that leads up to the, I love you. I know that's a really weird thing to hear, but later you'll need to remember that. And I... The idea of an older version of like, of, right? Like all of the things that you just said, Jen, right? Which you can kind of sum up in different ways, not quite like self-loathing, but like the idea that your older self would tell you back, right? uh, Despite all those fuck ups and all those mistakes and everything that you're going to do, I'm looking back right now and I'm telling you that like, I like love yourself and remember that. It's just... I just find it like incredibly powerful. It's such a simple line. Who would have thought that somebody would write that line having an older version talk to a younger version? Like it's just, I can't get over how simple it is and yet how profound it all is. Because it is a strange thing to say to yourself. Mm -hmm. Like you would think maybe it would be unspoken. But again, these things have, you constantly have to remind yourself. You have to have a running positive dialogue in your own brain and saying it out loud is really odd, Mm -hmm. but it's necessary. Hey, Leslie Nope does it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Leslie Nope is the best human being on the face of the earth. So do you, wait, do you guys, do you guys, you would even know this, but I'm going to tell you because it's like not a spoiler. She calls and leaves herself a message. (laughs) (laughs) She says, Hey Leslie, it's Leslie. Hang in there. I love you. Like <laughs> something to that effect. Oh, I mean, I've given pep talks to myself. <laughs> I used to have to do that like before going into court when I've when I was first like I'd be like, you can do this, right? Like alone in a bathroom stall, but check to make sure there's no feet <laughs> in the other stall and be like, you can do this. You know what's interesting though that now that we do have like recorders so um accessible to us, and this has been like a psychological thing that I've dealt with before. You know that how people always say, like, yeah, just tell yourself all this positive stuff. But a lot of times when you get into the throes of like being super negative, you can't. So one of the suggestions was to record it when you feel fine. And then when you're down in those spaces, play it back to yourself in your own voice. Of like, this is what I really believe about myself. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Thanks. It wasn't an idea someone gave me. It was something I did. (laughs) If you like it, I'm taking my credit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just, uh, guys, on another show, this scene could have gone off the rails. Oh, yeah. Okay, I have a question, though. Yeah. Not getting too deeply what we were at before. Yeah. 
What do you think she means when she says, but later you'll need to remember that? Because she knows the road's going to be really hard. Because she's going to Titan? <laughs> maybe not, just saying. Oh, I thought, I, I was thinking of Jennifer's, maybe this is wrong. I was just thinking of her long-term journey. She's going to have a lot of self-doubt. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, well, yeah. I just yeah. wanted to add add that in as a potential evidence. Got it. You're adding in your column. <laughs> it's circumstantial. It. I mean, I'll give you that. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, she is she is isolated in season three a lot. That's true. And well. four. And four. Right? Yeah. So she only has herself to depend on. So she needs to have that self confidence in order to just maintain not sanity but maintain a life where she's at in order to get where she needs to go because otherwise i mean imagine imagine you're sent back into the trenches of world war one jesus france right how would you cope no internet I mean, don't know the language uh it's the trenches in world war one i don't need to tell you how awful that is if you watched wonder woman you know it's bad um so i, I just like <laughs> I think I can't she's probably you just said if you I watch mean, Wonder Woman, but yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's fair. <laughs> See, uh, I mean, that's really the only reference. Downton Abbey frame of reference I have. Downton Abbey was World War One trenches, right? Yeah, but it's yeah, bad. It's bad. Didn't, I didn't. I didn't watch um, all those seasons, but it's just like if you think about what Jennifer has to go through and her isolation, kind of a stranger in a strange land type thing. She has to be fucking strong. In order to adapt and survive. And then she becomes like, what, a recording artist? <laughs> like a famous recording artist and actress on, I mean. I think famous is debatable. Come on, guys. Famous is debatable, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's on vinyl, guys. So, uh, She's famous. You know this singer in Glocka is like, what the fuck, this record? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she's going to be on her own a lot. She's going to open up season three alone. She's going to have to rescue Ethan on her own. She's going to be alone in season four and again talking to different versions of herself for confidence, right? Like, I mean, they'll kind of revisit this idea of talking to yourself for confidence, but like in a different way, right? When she's mm -hmm. so, yeah. I mean, I, I that all of that ran through my mind with that line of like, you're going to need to remember that because a, some of Jennifer's journey is really on her own, um, and then kind of picking up different lessons along the way and rejoining the team. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this scene, like the acting in it, Emily Hampshire, like. It's crazy. <laughs> it's really, I mean, the writing was beautiful, but like you needed an actress that could pull this off. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jennifer becomes a bit of a, a caricature in anybody else's hands. Mm -hmm. We'd be like, I, I think with a lot, like, I think we'd be rolling our eyes if Jennifer was entrusted into the hands of some other types of actresses. Emily Hampshire's we underrated. I mean, she's oh, so good. Usually. Yeah, on Shit's Creek too. She's incredible. She at least oh, she's great on Shit's Creek. She at least wins she's awards got, for that. But yeah, I mean, she's got both dramatic and comedic chops, and I, I I respect those actors probably more than than any other actor because drama is hard, but comedy is really hard, especially really, really when it hard. is so closely tied together. Which is what she has to do a lot in this show. Right? Yeah. She goes from I love you to, okay, I'm dying now. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's so 
sad, but it's also like, okay, I'm dying now is is peak <laughs> peak Jennifer it's going. Peak Jennifer, Jennifer right? would narrate her own death. <laughs> <laughs> and can you She's imagine like mic drop like OG Jennifer out, like right? And I mean, I think it's finally like I, I think it's like it, it's fitting that that final snort is probably what caused like the internal bleeding. Their shared snort. She goes out <laughs> laughing at like her own joke. <laughs> it's so great. It's your own adventure. All right. So talk about so like just talk t- taking it to Egg Jennifer. Talking about bravery, she just got ripped from what went down a hyena. She just fucking watched herself die. And now she has to walk out into the group of like post-apocalyptic warrior goddesses and be like, okay, I'm in charge. In the middle of like a tense standoff and a coup, right? Like the groups are splintered in three different ways and it's a fucking powder keg and she walks into that room and everyone's expecting her to lead it's that is like a, a, one of the bravest things i think first off that this character has done like it's crazy when she walks in and does it and yet it's also so like so can you lower your weapons and stuff <laughs> I think another show would have had like the music crescendo and she would have got in, but it's still Jennifer being like, yeah, so I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And like, you see Cole's face is a little bit like, uh oh. And like, Cole just saw her lose a room, right? When they were in Hyena. So I feel like he's a little like, I don't know how this is going to go. But Hannah is always crucial in these scenes, backing young Jennifer up. And I was, like, thinking about that. I think it's actually interesting because, like, Hannah actually does become, in a lot of ways, the leader of the daughters once Jennifer gets stranded, right, in season three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, it's interesting because the camera keeps showing us young Jennifer's face. So we see how nervous she is. But the people in the room, like the daughters, when she turns around, they're seeing kind of, like, the bravado. And so she's basically, like... We need you to get to 1957. You guys, let's go get the bastard. I got the yellow brick road right here in my head, chief. And the ladies mount up. We're taking to Titan. And it's kind of like you got Cassie and Cole looking at each other. And it's like, this is it. We figured out a way to like do all of it. But that means that everyone in this room might not see each other again. Yeah, um, and after we've seen all those recent failures, what we're seeing right now develop is uh, actress Jennifer. Yes, totally. She's playing a role. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and doesn't she lose them a little bit in the next episode or two? Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. She's yeah, literally I- reading stuff from fortune cookies to them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or what is it? She's like does speeches from movies and stuff. Yeah, That's she does. She pulls inspirational speeches from movies. <laughs> it's fan-fucking-tastic. But you know what? Use the weapons that you have. Whatever. I was going to memorize the Tammy Taylor sex talk from Friday Night Lights (laughs) for my kids until my daughter caught me off guard. Like you might as well. I mean, dude, you're not gonna you're not gonna get a better mo- a better moment. I had planned to do it, but she like sprung it on me in third grade, and I was like, "Fuck!" I was not ready for my Tammy Taylor speech that I was gonna pass off on my as my own. So just wait a minute, wait a minute, and you're just like googling it on your phone. <laughs> yeah, for real, you got transcripts. Come on now. No, I was or just or just play it from YouTube. I was on a plane. 
I was supremely Aww. fucked. <laughs> oh, man, that was calculated. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the 20-year-old in our row signed up for Wi-Fi just so she could probably, like, live tweet. Like, this 40-year-old <laughs> mother struggling to, like, answer her daughter's cross-examination on, like, sex. All right, so. Man, um, talk about being cornered. Like, you just have no way out. Oh, no. Mr. Check pressed the call button and was like, we're going to need beers. <laughs> all right. So we've got all the, the teams, like the stakes are set. Either team fail, like, you know, failure. They all die. The world ends. Chances are they're never going to see each other. You've got Cassie, Ramsey, and Cole all in a room. Cole is like, he looks so worried. He's, like, trying to figure out how to say goodbye. I feel like he's a dad, like, sending somebody off to prom. Like, the witness may be expecting you. Like, pack your guns. Be safe, right? Like, <laughs> it's just, like, put on clean underwear. <laughs> and Cole says Cassie, and she looks at him, and then she just walks away. Yikes. She dips. <laughs> Oh, man. You know, they have grossly underestimated the witness here. Because remember after, uh, you know, after 207, when she says, you know, when I, when he was in my head, I was in his. That's what she tells Ramsey. Mm -hmm. Um, She underestimates the fact that when he was in her head, she had no power over her actions. But... Her being in his head doesn't mean that he's not showing her exactly what he wants to show her. Yeah. Well, and you, we keep saying he, it's and it's her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, totally, right? It's all, she knows exactly, this is, she's luring them there. Yeah. Like, everything Cole is saying, his warnings, he says repeatedly, like, they're probably expecting you, you're probably gonna die, and all of it is true, right? So Cassie walks away, and it's like, ugh. Ram- you see Ramsey like absorb that kind of like oh man that sucked <laughs> you know that wasn't that was a gut punch right. wasn't it guys oh man like it is Ooh, it- your little shipper hearts might have withered at that point it hurt Jen my shipper heart hurt <laughs> yeah but just like two seconds later Ramsey and Cassie are sharing a, a look. No, like, it's the uh, fucking best. No, no, no. I know. Right. Okay. So um, you have Ramsey. <laughs> do not veer. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know I skipped a scene there. Let's talk about Colin Jones. No, Ramsey says I'll see you soon. And uh, like it, it, it's going to be a year for Ramsey until they get to Titan. And it's going to be two years for Cole. That's crazy. <laughs> and then they're going to see each other for a split second. In Titan, and then they won't really be together again until he comes back with Olivia in season three. So the I see you soon is a minimum of a year to two years, depending on the character, which is crazy (laughs) as all these characters are saying goodbye to one another, how much time lapses in the following episode. Um, And then um, we've got Colin Jones. And I just want to give a shout out because from this point forward, the music, like the score in this episode is incredible. I get like goosebumps from it. Yeah, I really feel like the score is underrated. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So this one isn't – this season two soundtrack wasn't released. So the track is called See You Soon. And it's it was uploaded – Terry Vitalis uploaded it on the – Facebook, the addicts of 12 Monkeys group. But other than that, like the soundtrack isn't out. This this music is so beautiful. Um, and I feel like it's a little bit of a shift. You should put it out on Spotify. That's a good idea. 
Because some of us don't use Facebook. Yeah. Um, okay. So Jones, he's going to the machine. He's all mission. And then it's Jones who calls to him, calls him James, which means his mother and his grandmother call him James in this episode. <laughs> And sorry, that's gonna be funny. I'm just thinking about what your face looks like right now. <laughs> it's crumpled up like I'm gonna cry. Um, well, there's no nose tent. I can no, tell that much. No, nose tents are only for frustration. Um, mm. So she she says, "Thank you for what?" And then she says, "Believing in me." Oh. And it's like. She, rem- like, you know, what he said earlier on, earlier in the episode about believing in her and everything he did, she was, he was the last person left and he restored her machine to her, right? Like in the mission, in the mission. And then the, f- can we just talk about the hug? Oh, of course we can talk about the hug. Do you know what this, what the direction was to Barbara Sakawa for that scene? No, but, but, but you're going to tell us though, right? Yeah, you are. It was to act like Jones had never been hugged before. The look on her face is so, like, there's so much emotion there, right? It's like, to me, it's like such a moment of where their journey has taken them and how they feel about one another. And now you watch it and it's like, there's a whole other layer to it knowing that they're family. But like... Well, I think she's surprised that she means so much to him. Yeah. And that he means so much to her, right? It's like these life or death moments where you never, you may never see the person again. That's when it comes to the surface, like mm-hmm. the scene she's going to have with Hannah shortly. Um, but I mean, the whole thing about believing like she's going to die and what he does, his belief in her mission is going to resurrect her. <laughs> and then she's going to be sitting alone knowing that like that the faith that he had in her is what brought everybody back. Um I don't know. It's just the music and the lighting and the, it's all, it's just like epic. <laughs> they played your emotions like a fiddle. <laughs> yes, they did. Um, all right. So into the store, you go into the storms, you have this like epic montage with them rolling out and the storms rolling in and the music. And then that wordless scene between Cassie and Ramsey where she's like, you can see she's upset looking in the rearview mirror. I mean, what a horrible way to leave things thinking you might not see anyone again. And then, John, it's like what you were saying before, where these characters are at, the other thing they have in common other than this revenge is Cole. And he knows, and he stops the car, and then she gets out and runs. And it's just, I think it also just says so much about their character journeys, right? Like, Ramsey has, feels like he has nothing left to live for. He's looking only at revenge into those storms. Cassie's getting out of the car and she is running back toward human connection. Yeah. Now, is she wearing her mask at that point? No. Is that a bit of a plot hole? I don't know. No, I think the red storms neutralize the plague, John. It's fine. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> the really deadly thing is is completely neutralized by the by really the really deadly thing. Itself. Yep, fine. <laughs> yep, it's fine. fine. Don't ruin the fucking moment, Jen. <laughs> well, I just I was just asking. I was just asking. I'm not ruining it. I'm just the music you know. is swelling and Cassie's running after her to go on the mission. Like I it's am important for her hair to look fantastic. <laughs> But I I gotta say, her hair looks fantastic this entire episode. I'm a little upset by it. Oh my god, she's got great hair in this episode. Yeah. Oh my god. Resurrection and Aaron Marker is in the back room. (laughs) 
always doing. I don't hair. think Jen knows our Aaron Marker headcanon. We'll tell her after. Um, <laughs> so um, I love also t- talking about like all she has to say is Katarina. The look on Jones's face that like at the end of the day, Cassie believes in this mission too. It's just like there's no dialogue, but it's just immediately she springs into action. And then she gets in that chair, and then they're running away, and Lasky dies again. <laughs> Lasky. Oh, poor Lasky. All right, so we've got the Jones That's and Hannah. A- I know. Put him in a bubble. Really? So Lasky! Poor <laughs> Hannah, who just lost the woman who raised her, now is separated by the storms on the other side of her birth mother. And the, like, emotion, like, Joan's telling her to go. She doesn't want to leave her despite the risk to herself, right? Like, it's getting out, like, things may be awkward, but, like, they love each other. And then Hannah calls her mother. (laughs) And Joan's face, like, she's about to die, but the look of happiness on her face is just, like, it's a lot. And then there's that gorgeous shot, and it's like Joan's is, like, a captain going down with her ship. Like, bracing herself, right? Like, at the machine. And you've got this, like, 360-degree shot and the music. And it's just, like, it's so good. And then she goes, like, evaporates. She gets snapped. There was a little bit of dust. She got snapped. Yeah, I was going to say she definitely got snapped. Spoiler alert. I was kind of glad, though, that we didn't have to see Jones be, like old lady little baby (laughs) on some of those last creepy ones right well i mean it was like the little boy in the last episode (laughs) yeah Yeah. later jones yeah that's okay they'll bring you back all right so we got our final scene we've got emerson we're in the emerson hotel 1957 um as soon as i see 1957 flash up on the screen you know that i'm internally screaming um you've got cold internal cc <laughs> really though I don't is believe it believe you at this point it's not it's not it's pretty much canon <laughs> that you're screaming like yeah. you're screaming throughout the whole thing <laughs> so if you're cole like he's walking out of the bar and i was kind of like yeah I get a fucking drink too, man. Like, he just said goodbye to literally everyone he knows. And he thinks he's on, like, a solo mission to save the universe. Like, I know. And she made the point, like, even if you succeed, like, we might not be able to, or you don't, whichever way, we might not be able to bring you back. So, like, in his mind, he's kind of, like, already stuck. Yeah, he's stuck. Cassie didn't even fucking say a word to him, right? I'd order. Yeah, a whiskey- she just bounced. Man, I'd order a whiskey sour or five. <laughs> like- he probably got. He probably got like an umbrella drink, it's like a peanut pina colada or something like that. <laughs> you like pina coladas? <laughs> I just like sat there. So sad. It. I love it because it's kind of reminds me of he does like it's Cassie taking another leap of faith and meeting him in a hotel lobby like the pilot mm-hmm. and they do the whole dramatic he stops he sees her her face and then the I don't want to be afraid anymore and it's such a huge character moment for her like it this is not the kind of show where everything is magically fixed right like they got a long road ahead of them, and they're going to be, like, their personal relationship is going to take a hit with the pressure that they're under. So it's not all magically fixed. Yeah, but don't they Don't they get it on next episode? I mean, after a year. 
Two years, a uh, year and a half, two years. Is of course, you know exactly how long. I just did that. <laughs> no, I just did the outline for that episode. She's Stick like it, counting babe. down the days. Like, no, <laughs> well, and not exactly four hundred twenty-seven days. <laughs> I just did the outline for Blood Washed Away. I don't sure. actually know off the top of my head. I have like a, a like a countdown clock to casserole sex. Come on, <laughs> whatever. You probably have it like circled on your calendar, and you celebrate. No, you're the right anniversary though. They're there year. for a year and then she's in a coma for like six months so so if this was really a true story this would be the the the, <laughs> the anniversary of their having sex together as best i could calculate oh nerd <laughs> all that's being deleted <laughs> I said, oh. damn it leave his final control um, I just was trying to figure the reason why actually is because I was trying to figure out how mm-hmm. the characters at Titan it's only been a year. <laughs> wow, you really have a a long-winded explanation for you just being obsessed with the date of their sexy times. I just create really detailed outlines for this podcast. Not that it's any of my business though. <laughs> All right. Um I just to bring it back. I, I think given the journey Cassie's been on this season, that's a big moment for her to say, I don't want to be afraid anymore. And it means a lot. I don't, I, you know, obviously it's, you know, my shipper heart is like, ah, right. But like, it's a big moment for her character. Sure. Um, and because it's in a one huge way moment another, for her she's character. She's been afraid since the pilot. Yeah. In some ways she's been brave. In other ways, she's always emotionally shut down. Yeah. But well, you can be brave and be afraid. Isn't that the whole point of being brave? Well, yeah. Isn't yeah. Isn't isn't there some sort of saying that you can't have courage without fear? Right. There yeah. is now. <laughs> yeah. I well, I could swear that Game of no, Thrones yes. said something to that effect this this season, like in episode two or something like that. You know, when the show used to be but good. But then they probably said the opposite the next episode. So whatever. <laughs> well, whatever the plot needed. Right. Um. <laughs> um. <laughs> Get back to good television writing. Catty bitches. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it is. I mean, the other thing is we began this season with Cassie being like, kill the person, right? And Cole was like the one saying, no, it's the mission of saving someone. And this is Cassie. She got out of that car and walked away from the mission that was revenge and about killing someone and chose the mission to go save someone. And that is a huge moment for her character journey. And even like the the closed down Cassie that we had during season two, it, it's not that she's not physically strong and and right, but like she will from this point on, once they get kind of through that blood washed away and she gets her memories back in season three, she's a lot more, obviously a lot of other things are happening to her, but she's like a, a more emotionally open, right? Mm-hmm. She's so- more of a well-rounded person. Yeah. She's not just strong in one way. She's learning to use, like, both parts of herself. In some ways, there's a lot of healing that takes pl- place during Blood Washed Away, right? Like, she yeah. becomes a nurse again. She has time. Like, for the first time, she has time, right? And this, that's before she even finds Cole. So, it just hits me now watching it. It's just such a huge moment for her in addition to, like, me being like, oh, my God, they're going to 1957. <laughs> so, we did it. Um... Obviously, everyone, Jones is dead. Um, everybody who's on Titan who's going to actually go into facility is going to die. And so this episode title, it takes on a whole other meaning because everything Cassie and Cole ultimately do will resurrect everyone. 
right? So, yeah. And this is, I just, it it's kind of puzzling why this wasn't a season finale. Because it's got everything. I think, I was thinking about that earlier, and I think it's because that each season, like, tells a pretty distinct story. <clears throat> so you like, had you know, to season, get... Season one is the plague, and then season two is, like, you know, the Red Forest and the setup, and you gotta get all the way to thinking that... Um, that their son is the witness because because then then season three is all about that. Like I think there's there's a distinct break mm-hmm. between those two things, so it's not like in one episode you know you're like their son's the witness in the next episode already like without any sort of break between those we're after him now. So I think yeah, that was the, the yeah, way to I, all the way there the to cliff, have like an actual season wrap up. I mean, this totally could have been a Absolutely. great season finale, but the cliffhanger they end on is like legendary. Sure. You know, like it's like one of my favorite season ending cliffhangers ever. Yeah. And going ahead and wrapping up these two missions and opening up something new. I mean, I think was a good move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those episodes where it's just like it's got a lot going on. It's got everything that you need and more for a fantastic season finale. So that's why it's like to me is like you've got a an episode of this quality and caliber and it's stuck like you know three episodes before the end of the season it's just mind-blowing to me that they are able to pull something like this off like i'm trying to think of other shows like there are some shows like game of thrones used to have the epic penultimate Mm -hmm. uh episode for each season before each season finale um I'm trying to think of some other shows that kind of pull off like mid-season finales, which is kind of right. just kind of the standard of, of how TV is set up now because every season, especially for like The Walking Dead or something like that, it has to be broken up into like four parts in order to string you along. Um, so I just, I, this just, this episode is just so juicy. It's just like how they had so much story to tell that this, that this isn't the season finale is crazy, <laughs> right? Like, they had that many more, like, goodies that they were holding on to that you're, like, looking back at it and you're like, on a lot of other shows, this would have been an amazing season finale. But not this show. We got more. No. <laughs> we have two more season finales right now. <laughs> you like that? We got some more of that coming at you. <laughs> um, I'm so glad that you came back. We got you back before season three. Well, I'm glad. I, I feel like now I'm like the pinch hitter now. Oh my god! Um, no. Whether or not I I actually like get on base or just kind of like hit a weak dribbler back to the pitcher, you never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm glad you guys asked me back. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have. Uh, beep! You just say it. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> Jesus! It's That's one of my favorite series. It's called Blood Washed Away. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Um, Alicia is joining um, for a full casserole flail mixed with death and people getting their throats sliced. <laughs> now, now, viewers, in case you were wondering what the this ep- this podcast's um, notes look like, <laughs> here's what's in the wrap up. <laughs> Next up, blood washed away, all caps, ARG, all caps, 1957 in the House of Cedar and Pine and, and ARG. 
Berg. So I think you guys just you just need to know that it's not just CC reacting in the moment. No, she takes it's CC putting it in all caps in the show notes for run, each episode. I just run out of words. It's practically etched in stone. It's like you have to like. There's just these emotional breakdown moments in in all of the episode notes. We're just like, oh, like, okay, so Cece's going to flail about this one, so just prepare. (laughs) You know what? Like, that'll just be the episode title (laughs) for Blood Washed Away. Just, ah, God. (laughs) Alicia will join for full casserole flail. Five or six exclamation points. You know what? You know what, Jen? If they had, if they didn't want me to care, they wouldn't have built it up so much. I'm gonna have to wrangle them so hard. You are, and we may. The other, the other thing that I'm gonna have to walk is that um, we may have a surprise guest. It isn't quite confirmed yet, but we may have a surprise guest for the finale, which means I gotta get my shit together and get all of my. <laughs> Casserole flailing, like I'll just be like Alicia. Let's cover Christmas because I gotta get it all out now. <laughs> so I will. We will flail the next episode, and then if we have our stay tuned, if we have our surprise guests, I I promise I will have my shit together. <laughs> will you know? But you know what she will do. She'll see. <laughs>